The Brutally Speaking podcast is proudly sponsored by Starving Artist Brewing. Starving Artist Brewing may be a small speck on Michigan's beer map, but they say big things come in small packages. A brewery who really puts their money where their mouth is, supporting underground artists far and wide. Making delicious beers with the simple belief that you should judge beer, not people. Brutally Speaking Podcast is proudly sponsored by Rockabilia.com. For over 30 years, Rockabilia has been the go-to destination for all things band merch. With over 500,000 items in their online store and collaborations with today's hottest bands, you're sure to find something you love. Use our code BREW10 at checkout and take 10% off your total order. So go pick up your favorite new piece of merch now over at rockabilia.com. Now, on to the show. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast. I am your host, John, and this episode's guest is Andrew Wells of Idola of Dance Gavin Dance. And like always, this was a fun chat. Um, I, You know, it's so funny to think back, especially, you know, since I'm still in a little bit of a nostalgic mood of, you know, episode 400 with this being two episodes removed from. Um, but it's a thing where, you know, it's so funny to think that when I started this show, I was like, I'm never having return guests. Anything we talked about, it's it's as good as it's going to get. And then I started having some people back on and I realized it's really kind of a continuation of the conversation we've been having. And a lot of times if that person and I are actually friends outside of the show, which a lot of the returning guests are, uh, that it becomes an extension of our actual relationship. And, you know, the way that this episode started off, and I do really want to kind of touch on this for a minute because, you know, I know I've said countless times that what I think makes the podcasting medium so good and special and important at times is just the the reality and the vulnerability that sometimes the guest and or the host uh, puts themselves in uh, that makes it more applicable to, I guess applicable would actually be the word, but regardless, um, to the person listening. And... You know, I'm going to, I talked about it almost right out the gate in the episode, but I, I, like I said, I wanted to kind of focus on it just a little bit more. Um, you know, talking about how I was really afraid that something had happened to Andrew. And if you've listened to the back episodes that we've done, you know, and granted there is one that's missing, but, uh, you know, one of the last times Andrew came on, we kind of addressed that in the fact that, um, you know, he had, has dealt with mental uh, health issues and struggles with that at times, and as we all do typically, and that he had uh, suicidal ideation as well. And there was a tour, um, actually, when I had gone and met him in person for the first time, um, where he had had an attempt unsuccessfully, obviously, but um, it's a thing where sometimes with Andrew not being on social media, and it's a good thing. Um, but it is a thing where at times where if he doesn't respond to texts or you don't see him for a little while, uh, it just creates this wonder of what's happening. How is he? How is he doing? 
And, you know, with Andrew and I talking the last time about the loss of our friends, close friends, um, and not necessarily having answers and it being so sudden and stuff like that, you know, we have been in this situation where you put yourself in this mindset of, I wish I would have said something differently. I wish I could have done more. I wish I would have done more. And sometimes it's really hard to, to live with those things and those thoughts uh, as a person. And so it becomes this thing where when I couldn't get a hold of Andrew, when my wife and I were going to go out to Utah and we were planning on seeing him when we went to the Nothing More show and hanging out with him and his wife uh, for some some dinner and so forth. And when I wasn't able to get a hold of him, when he said he'd be home and able to be got a hold of, uh, I started kind of really freaking out uh, and panicking and... I was trying not to overreact and I was trying to just be like, okay, I know he's a pretty personal dude, like keeps to himself. Um, but it's not like him to, to not at least shoot me a text or send me like a voice message or something within a handful of days of getting my text. And so I really started freaking out. Um, and I had kind of maybe thought the worst. Um, and I was really trying not to, and it was one of those things where I started to write an e- a message to the Idola uh, Instagram account because I know that Sergio or someone at least is active on it. And I hadn't seen any posts from the band for a little bit. So I'm like, oh, man, what the fuck's going on? And then I noticed after I had sent a message being like, I'm really worried. Like, is Andrew OK? Is whoever is running this account? Can you, like, let me know at least that he's OK? And probably like an hour later, as the world does uh, in the day and age of social media, I got like a, an update. Uh, like I'm not following DGD on anything, but I, I somehow got a, a, a sponsored or suggested post. And it was, you know, tours going really great with Papa Roach over here in Europe or something like that. And then I kind of went and looked at the tour dates and I was like, oh, shit, OK, um, he's on tour. And probably if I know Andrew is <laughs> not paying to uh, get, you know, specialty, uh, phone privileges and so forth. When you travel abroad, uh, to make his phone number work and all that kind of stuff. And then I kind of put two and two together and I was like, I'm obviously he's playing, obviously he's okay. Uh, if he's, he's overseas playing with DGD. Um, and if there was something wrong with him, there obviously would have been an announcement on DGD's page or Idola's page or something. Um, so then I quickly deleted the message I had sent the Idola band page. Uh, and then Andrew got a hold of me a couple of days later when he had some some service. But it's one of those things. Um, I'm not ashamed uh, to, to talk about this a little bit more at length. I'm not ashamed to have admitted that I've done that. Um, because I, I do think it's the reality that some of us live in when we've lost people, when we've gotten those phone calls, gotten those text messages of our friends, our family no longer being around. And and we wish we would have done something more than what we inevitably did. Um, I can honestly say there are still in, in some of my friends passings uh, that I, I constantly think about what I could have done differently. If I could have, texted something differently than the text I sent. If I, if I would have reached out would something have changed, um, would that person have not have felt alone or, or whatever. And so I'm here to say, um, and you know, Andrew and I echo this sentiment, uh, pretty quickly after I reveal all that, but it's, you know, don't be afraid to reach out to your friends. Don't be afraid to reach out to those that are important to you. Uh, cause you'll, you'll never be able to get back that moment. Um, so 
you know, if you're feeling like shooting a friend or a loved one a text and just letting them know how they, how you're doing or that you're thinking of them or even, you know, giving them a phone call or setting up plans to hang out, do it. Um, cause you, you will regret not doing it after the fact when you no longer have a choice, uh, in the matter. All of that heavy shit aside, let's get into my conversation with Andrew. I promise it's not so heavy uh, as what I just kind of was saying. It's actually a little bit differently. I know we just said we're going to get into it, but we'll get into it in just a second. But this one actually is a little bit more positive. It's a little bit something different, uh, a huge thing. Uh, if you've ever seen Andrew in person, uh, you know that he is a, a very large uh, individual, very uh, – Swole Andrew, I think everyone's been calling him Andrew Swells <laughs> as of late. Uh, and Swole, Swole, how do they say it? Swole, Swole Dola or something like that. Um, but it was the thing where Andrew uh, obviously has really taken to his physical uh, health as well and really been hitting the gym and being a personal trainer and stuff. And it's something him and I have talked about quite a bit uh, in our you know relationship as friends but it's something that uh, we've never really discussed on the podcast. And with my own kind of weight loss journey and trying to be more mindful of what I'm eating and how healthy I'm trying to be, uh, it seemed like a great avenue. Actually, Andrew suggested it, surprisingly. He was like, let's do a podcast and let's talk about this and let's go down this rabbit hole. Um, so it's funny for someone that doesn't really like being super social and doesn't really do much in the form of press or media, uh, I do love that apparently – this show is a, a safe place for him to, to want to come on and want to have these conversations. So without further ado, this is my conversation with Andrew. And I'll talk to you on the other side of it. So, I mean, what I was going to say off the record, but now on the record, um, I mean, I feel like this is essentially in a shitty way, but like thanks to modern technology, this is essentially the hang we were supposed to have like weeks or about a month ago. But unfortunately, mm -hmm. just, you know, uh, life things happen and um, family takes precedence over uh, sometimes, you know, friends being around or whatever. But um, I guess first and foremost, like... Uh, I'm going to say this because I don't mean to make this be weird and I don't want it to sound weird, but like, I want it to be a thing where, you know, a lot of people, when they listen to our conversations, just can tell like a, that we're really good. Like we're good friends and we have real conversations with each other. So I want to say this because I think it's imperative for people who care about other people to do. Um, so, the last time you were on, we kind of had talked about some of the struggles you were going through the time we had talked about talked before, but weren't able to air the episode. And I'm going to be fully transparent. And there was a stretch there where I had texted you and like I was trying to like figure out like what days and all that kind of stuff were going to work for you for our trip so we could hang out. And I got nothing from you. And my mind, and I don't know if it's a good thing, a bad thing, whatever, but like my mind immediately went to a bad place where I was like, oh my God, is something wrong with Andrew? Like what, what's going on? Like it's, it's not been like him recently to, to not answer within a day or two of me sending him a text or something. And 
it got to the point where I was so worried that I literally started to write a message to the Idola Instagram page to be like, I know, like, I know you're not on it, but I know someone's probably active on it enough that they'll see it and maybe be like, oh shit. And I was like, Hey, I'm just trying to make sure Andrew's okay. Like, and I'm not even bullshitting that I know Andrew here's like receipts, like text messages. I got his fucking phone number. And then like, I, like I sat with it for like maybe four or five hours. And then I I went through and deleted it. And I was like, that's so fucking crazy. Like who would do that? And then I just happened to like catch a sponsored dance Gavin thing on Instagram that was like, Oh, we're on tour in Europe and da 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 da. And then I looked at the dates and I was like, Oh fuck, he's probably overseas and can't get, Yep. text messages yeah, and, shit. Got it, bro. and then i was like god damn it like ugh. but it was hey, one of those. no i appreciate i appreciate that man i appreciate that like you have a concern enough and you know my my history with some of my, my mental health problems um that i've had in the past with depression or anxiety or suicidality that i've that i've since you know worked through in a in a, in a multitude of ways um but yeah, that that was definitely a huge reason. I mean, I've I have had some family stuff that has been going on, um, some health problems in my grandparents that have been ongoing for the last like six to eight months in particular that have uh, ebbed and flowed. You know, some cancer diagnoses. I've had a couple friends that have overdosed and a couple friends that have committed suicide. Um, and so, with all of that, I've been slammed busy also with music, and so it's a lot of like nonstop go go go. Um, but I didn't have pretty much any service while I was in the UK, Germany, or Netherlands. Um, I like anyone who knows me, I do have a smartphone, but I don't really use it. I don't really use the apps on it, particularly unless I'm like Ubering somewhere or like getting something to eat, um, checking my emails. And so I don't really, I don't, I don't have like a, a premier service that I pay to like go overseas and have great service, like nonstop data. I'm just like, all right, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to try to get on Wi-Fi when I can. <laughs> so I can call my mom and my dad and uh, hopefully like be able to find my way around a city in Europe. Um, and that's always for like five weeks. Cause we were out there with dance for almost, yeah, for, for a few a weeks month, out there, month and Broco shows and the Germany shows. And then uh, my wife and I went on vacation after that. We did like Spain, um, Amsterdam and uh, um, uh, London for a few days. And so I ended up staying like an extra 10 days or something. Uh, so, yeah, I was out there a bunch. And then I was just out there with Idola, too. So I've been in Europe like two and a half months this year already. Yeah. Um, just crazy, man. So I apologize for the lack of text, but I appreciate you understanding and knowing the uh, the situation. So, no, and it's it gets weird because like, I feel like at times that's the hard part of, I, I think, you know, and we've talked about like how, you know, obviously you've lost, and you just said like, you've lost people, like I've lost people. And I think there becomes this like weird middle ground where you're like, should I worry? Should I be concerned? Or is everything fine? And I just need to give someone that space. And I feel like, that's the weird vibe where I'm at with some people where I'm like, I don't know. I don't know right now. And then like, it's the adverse where sometimes like there are the people I know that like, I know, and like I can text you and like, I know I'm not bothering you, but there are some people where like, it's still in the back of my head where I'm like, God, I might be just being a bother to this person where they're like, (laughs) kind of one of those things. And so it's a, it's a thing where like I live kind of in both worlds where I'm like, 
I'm concerned and I'm worried, but maybe I shouldn't be. And I just need to kind of find a balance. But it's a thing where, like I said, to, to kind of preface this, like one of the things I love uh, about our conversations is that we're able to kind of share these these raw and real moments of, of our lives, of our relationship together. And to me, it's it's one of those where I hope that, you know, minutes, five minutes into this, that someone might be like, yeah, I feel that way too. And and maybe I should reach out to someone or maybe I need to figure out what that balance is of letting that. Oh, I think I think you should always reach out. I'm, I'm going to say something that's uh, if, if, if the friend you're reaching out to is bugged by the fact that you care enough to ask them how they're doing or reach out to them, they're probably not that good of a friend. <laughs> I'm just going to straight up say it. Like if they're bugged, like, viscerally bugged like oh fuck this guy he's just bugging me because he cares about me it's like what kind of friend is that bro no get Absolutely. better friends yeah go go find better people you can fucking reach out to you know what i mean i think you should always check on your friends and i say that as somebody who's lost a lot of friends who you know you always Same. have that feeling in the back of your mind like could i have done more you know could i've done more to, to help this person get out of the rut that they're in um whatever that is alcoholism you know, drug addiction, depression. I mean, life is hard. I don't think anyone would t- who's lived it would tell you otherwise. Um, <laughs> but I, I do think I think it's always good to check on your people. You know, there, there's it's it's a tough world out there. I think it's good to know that other people care. Like it's a big part of what my mentality shifted with music is just really focused on the positivity that we can bring to that um, in in such a dark space that the world seems to be in. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I think that uh, the more we can foster those types of communities, the better. 100 percent. Well, I think, you know, this is as you know, a lot of times I feel like for as much as I share and, and we give the give and take of, you know, kind of our personal lives and, and our relationship uh, and kind of putting out there for other people. You know, I kind of feel like I wanted to, you know, something I've been sharing with you uh, has kind of been like, I guess, my uh my journey to to losing some weight and trying to, to yeah. not not be a garbage person who lives in the the fucking <laughs> rat race of like I'm too busy and and literally making all the excuses and and something I think I had I had said one of the last times we talked was you know I am somebody who lives in a perpetual state of you either need to just own your shit and be honest with yourself or change so like a big thing for me was you know a lot of times i'd say like i know i need to lose weight like i'm not happy with the weight i'm at but like i'm not i'm not making progress to to do anything about it so i either i just need to like be like then this is where i'm at in my life and this is what i'm doing and i just need to be happy like either way um whether i choose to make a choice to be healthier or or just and i'm happy where i'm at because i think too many people live on such opposite ends of the extreme where it's like i need to lose weight and then you do nothing about it and they're like oh well i'm sick because i'm fat or whatever i'm not in shape or i'm not this or i'm not that but you do nothing to do anything about it so you need to have that realization of like either it bothers me enough to do something or it bothers me not enough to do something and i need to be happy with my decision either way um And it was just a thing where, you know, like little nuances as I get closer to 40, you know, I'm going to be 39 and like, what is it? We are in June, May. So in a couple months in September. And it was one of those things where it's like, 
there was a point in my life where I was like, if I ever hit 200 pounds, like shit, I need to like dial things back. And then it's like, sure. I got to 200 pounds. And then I was like, eh. like there was a point where all you ever wanted growing up as a thin young kid was, I wish I could gain weight and I just can't. And mm. these are things we kind of tell ourselves, I think to, to make us feel okay with the change that's happening that we're not happy with. And finally it just became this thing where, you know, with my wife, you know, Bridget kind of realizing that she's diabetic and needs to change some stuff. I was like, I need to change too. And this is kind of a good reset lifestyle wise for both of us. And, you know, I've been trying to lose weight and I was like, I always was like, I can't make it to the gym making excuses. And then it just became this thing where I was like listening to Kevin Smith for a while and something he did, he did that lost him a lot of weight was just fasting, walking and just watching what you eat. Just very simple things you can do to change your daily habits and behaviors. And it's been kind of weird because as someone who's very in my own head about things and thinks about a lot of stuff, I realized, and I even said it uh, to a friend the other night where I was like, you know, it's weird. Cause in my head, I'm like, yeah, I went like 23 hours without eating. And now I have like an, an hour or two hour window where I'm just going to eat whatever. Cause like still be mindful, but like, that's my window to eat. And I was like, yeah, you're not gorging, but you're intermittent fasting. You're like, you're finding yeah, that but, window. Yeah. But then it's fucked up. Cause I'm like, God, I, is this how it sounds when someone who, and no offense to anyone who is going through this, but it's like, is that what it sounds like when someone who just starves themselves where you're like, yeah, I haven't gone 22 hours without eating, but it is crazy in that this, you know, month and month and a half or so of doing this and, and dropping weight and so forth, that it's been crazy to realize kind of the, the relationship we as people are at least say myself has with food where it's like a lot of times I feel like we eat not because we're hungry or need food or sustenance, but we just eat because we're stressed. We're, we're depressed. We're happy. We're whatever. And it's a coping thing. And that a lot of times, even now I've realized my relationship with food has become a thing where I eat slower and then I eat significantly less. And then I realize I'm full because I don't really need to eat as much as I had been eating and even tracking on like an app and stuff like that. The, the, what I'm eating, it's like, it's putting me on, I think just under 2,100 calories for the day in that like two hour gap. And it's still like when I'm putting stuff in, I'm like, Oh God, I shouldn't have eaten that. And then I see like, it counts everything. And I'm, I'm kind of just barely getting to the 2,100 calories. And I'm like, Oh, well, I guess, I guess it's not that bad. Um, but it's just been crazy because, you know, it's interesting when you're going through the journey to try to better yourself and trying to lose weight, like the mental, uh, I'll say from my perspective, the mental struggles and hangups where you're like looking at the scale every day, you're trying to watch what you eat. And then you're like, fuck man, I've been at like two Oh five for like a week and a half. And I just can't get past this weight. Like no matter what I do. And then magically like three or four days later and like, then you're under it. And then it's like, like, you know, I sent you the photo uh, yesterday, I think, where like my goal was to get under 200 and then I was at 197 and a half and I'm like, Oh shit, I'm here. And, but like now that gives me the motivation. It's like, all right, let's get to 190. Let's get like, cause the goal, the overall goal for right now, like the, the big goal is 175. Like, I feel like once I get there, like that's a pretty good weight for my, my size. Like yeah, my how height, tall are you? Know, like five seven, oh, that's and that's still yeah. that's still probably a little bit extra on my my frame. But oh, dude, yeah, you just there's so much to it, man. I, oh, I just yeah. want to say, 
um, I'm proud of you for like just putting in the time. Also, like, I want to spec. I want to say this is water, by the way. Not, not <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I got to get um, my 96 ounces in. That's right, dude. No, I, I'm proud of you, man. I just for even having the self awareness to know what the right path is for you. Like you had the cognizant self-awareness to say, okay, there's an, there's an issue, whether that's an aesthetic issue you have with yourself. That's a self-conscious thing, or it's like a physical issue. A lot of people I've worked with clients as a personal trainer, as, as a nutritionist that come from all walks of life, right? I've worked with disabled folks. I've worked with elderly patients. Um, I've worked with, uh, clients with diabetes, you know, um, post-cancer patients, right. Um, in rebuilding um, body composition, weight loss, strength training. I've worked across the board on, on all that. And I think that it starts with a mindset. I think anybody in that industry would tell you that. It starts with a mentality behind what you're doing and an intention. And so if you recognize a problem that's happening in your life, whether that's mental health or you just don't like the way you look in the mirror, you don't, not based on anyone else's standards, just your standards that you want to live up to and where you want to go. Just putting forth that mindset and that intention, I think is the first step to becoming the most self-actualized person of yourself, that a version of yourself that you can be. And, um, there's so much to it. It's crazy. When you look at fitness as an industry or as a, just as a field of study, there's so much information. Um, and a lot of it's contradictory. A lot of it's constantly evolving and changing. Um, and you have examples of this all the way through any human history or culture where they set up kind of guidelines around food or their relationships with food. Right. I, I don't think it's really, too much of a stretch for anyone to say that uh, Americans have a very interesting relationship with food um, compared to a lot of the rest of the world. And I think that it's about your mentality behind it. Like what makes you feel your best? What makes you feel your healthiest? And then what long-term, what does that look like? You know, you might feel the best eating shit all day, every day. If that's, if you've trained your body on sugars and hyper amounts of caffeine, um, but you've probably noticed a difference in like your mental health and your physical health when you're fasting like this and you're, and you're kind of, you're paying attention to what's going in your body, what's fueling it. Um, that's, that's very significant. I think a lot of people don't pay in a lot of mind to that, that, that they, sh that they could be. Um, if you're feeling shitty in your everyday life and you're dealing with a lot of issues you, that you may be medicating for, I would never speak out against like you know, medications that work for you, supplementation that works for you, because you'll know your body better than anyone. But I will say there's not quite, you know, it, as far as supplementary action that you can do, exercise and dieting, I, I always recommend it just even in small doses. If you can get up, do something that you enjoy, right? Do something that you thoroughly like to do. If you like being outside, maybe go on a walk, you know, an incline walk of some kind, go out and, you know, if you like sports, you know, um, hit training type activity, go out and engage with like a, you know, your community, go to a local gym, maybe you're like pickleball or basketball. Um, there's always ways you can stay active and engaged in your community that will make you feel better long-term. The journey for me, when you're talking, like when you say like, man, I just sit there and I work week after week and this fucking scale won't change. It just sits here at 205. <laughs> what the fuck is this? I, it, it's crazy. I became pretty obsessed with fitness over the last like five years. 
um, since I really started my journey. When I started with dance, Gavin Dance and Idola, I was 145 pounds. Um, <laughs> I'm 245 pounds now, currently. Shit. Um, give or take a couple pounds, depending on water weight, right? Like I've gained a hundred pounds. It's all, it's obviously not all complete muscle, but I would say I usually try to keep my body fat percentage between nine and 14, um, on my bulk seasons, nine on my cut seasons. It's, there's so many ways you can push your body into doing outstanding things. The human body's a feat. It's a, it's insane. I mean, there's so many people who, um, who've been involved in accidents, who've lost limbs that, you know, I've worked with clients that have, that have gone through all sorts of hell that you could possibly imagine. And they get up every day and they fucking go after it. They get after it. They work, they put in the time, they get out there and they push themselves and they push their abilities and they push their limits. And that's the most inspiring shit that I've been engaged in, in my 31 years on the planet is like really inspiring stories of like overcoming adversity and pushing yourself to new heights. I, I love that shit. So, um, you know, the journey is awesome. Anybody that's involved with fitness too, at varying levels, I think a lot of people love to discuss it with other people. Like, I love that you're on this journey because no matter where you go in the journey, we can always talk about it. If you're, you yeah. come to me and like, Andrew, all right, I'm down to 170, bro. Like I want to buff these biceps up, you know, or I want to, <laughs> you know, I want, I want to have some pecs, right? What do I do? And then I go, okay, well, yeah, well, we can build you a program off of that. Like, let's talk about, you know, hypertrophy. Let's talk about, um, you know, set programming, how many days a week you're going in. Like there's so much to it. I love every component of it. I still, I go pretty relentlessly. I think if you talk to anyone that I've ever toured with, especially the last <laughs> couple of years, it's relentless, dude. I don't let myself sleep a wink, man. I remember that oh. Idola tour was crazy, dude. The the one in Europe because European gyms and and US gyms, it's a little different. You know, it's it's pretty much the same concept. But in the UK, they have a, a pure gym. Is like the the Planet Fitness style like chain gym. Right. It's like a six buck day pass. You go in, you just go, you go bust it out. And so I would go every fucking day of that tour and I played two sets a day. So I would, <laughs> I'd wake up in the morning, I'd go get my food. I'd sound check Idola. I'd run to, I'd sound check DGD, sound check Idola, fucking run to the pure gym, scarf something down, play Idola set, try to get another meal in before the DGD set, come back, play DGD, get one more meal in right before I go to bed. <laughs> slap it right because on tour i'll i'll lose weight on tour i become i become obsessed with it it's like if you know if i go out i'll spend i'll spend money on it like just to make sure i can eat well because that's a huge component man it's it's huge and i've seen it's cool to to be in bands where other guys are at different levels in their fitness journey too because like tillian you know he's been working out a while he's fun to work out with john's fun to work out with no one in Idola really works out except for Sergio has been coming with me lately. Um, his dad, like cardio his guy. Hilarious. Yeah, he's a cardio guy, but he'll lift with me once in a while. So we'll go and we'll try to do, we'll try to do some sets and uh, he'll always send pictures to his family and his dad will chime in and said, he'll say, no, don't turn into SpongeBob. And there's this old episode <laughs> of SpongeBob where he has like the blow up arms and it's yeah. just arms. It's just SpongeBob yeah. with giant arms. Um, and so they, they call me SpongeBob in the Medina household now, apparently. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, man, I, I love, I love your journey so far, man. Thanks for, uh, 
keeping me up to date on that and sharing your journey. I think 175 is a crazy goal, man. You'll you'll be shredded. You look good. Well, it's funny because like I always grew up, and I think this is kind of you know kind of speaking to this because you know when you and I were talking and texting about like talking about this and then the journey between each other, like what we're personally going through and so forth. Um, I feel like I maybe offer a completely different background into it than a lot of other people. And so I guess kind of, you know, the give and take relationship of these podcasts and what makes them to me so, so valuable is, you know, I grew up with a cleft lip and palate. I grew up with a heart murmur, like to the point where like when I was born, the doctors told my parents, like, be prepared to him for not to make it. Um, and then as I grew up, because of the cleft lip and palate, I had to go to yearly annual visits for, you know, psych and so psych evaluations and dietary things and all these other things. Um, and it was weird because, like, you know, in some instances, I'm having professional doctors telling me, like, you know, actually, I don't want to grab a bag of meat uh, as of my example to use as a graph. So I'll use that. <laughs> Because I felt disingenuous, but it'd be like, here's the part, here's normal, and then like, here's you, and like, mm-hmm. it became this thing where, as I've gotten older, and I, I understand more of a, a psychological level of things, I realize how damaging that was to me growing up. Where it's like, I'm having professional medical professionals tell me I'm not normal. And I'm being compared to quote unquote normal. And these are the things I'm never going to do. These are the things that I won't be able to do because of these limitations that they're saying I have. And it was always this thing where how could it not affect my, my self like esteem? How could it not affect my self value and just how I would maybe approach things in life? And, you know, I can say now being, you know, almost 39 that it's like, I fucking wrestled. I played basketball. I played football. I ran track. Like I did all, all the sports basically. And I lettered in all of them. And it's a thing where so much of my early life was fitness and like working out relentlessly, but it became a thing where it's like, I couldn't fucking gain weight to like save my life, no matter like how much I ate. And there was always this part of me that it's like, all I wanted to do was gain weight and be normal, not like fucking tiny. And I can almost pinpoint where my, my journey to gaining weight started. And it was a winter because here in Michigan, you know, we have some pretty brutal winters on occasion. And I worked at Sam's club at the time so I could buy things in bulk. And so I had found white Russian, white, uh, white Russians and Irish car bombs. And I like for a winter, so like five months of the year, all I drank almost every day was at least one to two white Russians. And like, Wait, how how old were you? Like probably twenty. I think it was when I first started dating Bridget, so I was like probably twenty three, twenty four. Yeah, I did. I did a white Russian summer one time. I worked on windmills in Wyoming. <laughs> I was like twenty or twenty one. <laughs> that was. Uh, they're so was, fucking delicious. They're, I mean, yeah, they're they taste great. I don't but drink anymore, but man, yeah. I, you know, holy I, shit, are they fattening? And it's like over that. Oh yeah, that, it's all sugar. <laughs> yeah, well, and it's like especially when you're making like the you know you're using like the half and half and stuff like that, like to oh yeah, yeah the creamer and the, yeah. Uh, yeah. So it became a thing where it's like working at Sam's Club where everything's either in bulk or like buy one get one half offer for free essentially. 
yeah. it became a thing where it's like for five months, that's all I was drinking and Guinnesses and stuff like that. And like, I put on like 25 pounds. Guinnesses, Jesus Christ. I love them. Still Save love them. some pussy for the rest of us. Bro. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was just a thing where like, I know like that's the beginning of me starting to put on weight. And like, I think, I think at that point I was probably weighing in at like one, like 135, 140, and then putting on the 20 pounds, it's like I'm at like 160, 165. And like I felt good. Like I felt like I like people and I was gonna pull up a photo of like me back in the day. Yeah, and you feel, you feel find, yeah, you feel strong. Yeah. You feel, yeah. Like I feel good because like I'm finally putting on weight on my body, and people are like, You look healthy finally, versus just emaciated. And sure, yeah. Every time you go to the every time you go to the the barbecue, your grandma asks you, "Why don't you eat a fucking cheeseburger?" Sure, and I'm eating like uh, four. <laughs> but yeah, it's a yeah, thing exactly. where like yeah, you're eating junk food all day, just not gaining. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And everybody tells you they yeah, it's a whole thing. Yeah, I, I've, been, and, I've been there. Yeah, yeah. It just became this thing where it's like my journey with gaining weight and eating like crappy and all that kind of stuff. Like, I I know the other thing for me was growing up, like you know my my dad was someone who would, and I understand the philosophy, but I think the execution is, is what gave me kind of almost like a weird eating disorder of sorts where it's like, um, with vegetables and stuff like that. Like I just didn't like certain foods. And the other thing, a part about like my cleft lip and palate is I had so many oral surgeries. I had so many different like orthodontia work of like braces, palate expanders, retainers, all these things were limited what I could eat when I could eat it. So like if I had an oral surgery, it's like that first month, month and a half, it's a, a purely liquid diet. And then from there for like the next three weeks or so, it's a semi soft foods. And then by then, hopefully if all the stitching and everything's good to go, I can have solid foods, but it's still kind of limited. So my relationship with food at a very young age was very weird. And it just became this thing where like, you know, adding on to like my dad growing up in a, in a family in the Midwest and, and, you know, in the, like I think early late fifties, early sixties and stuff where it's like, he came from a low income family where it's like, you have to eat food. Like there's no other food to go around. Like you just, it is what it is. And his mentality used to be like, so eat this or try it. And it'd be like, well, I don't like it. And then, so the next time I'd have to eat it, it'd be like, well, I threw salt on it. So now you might like it. Or now it's with this. So you might like it, eat it. And it just became this thing where it's like a lot of times it felt like a punishment to have to eat shit and eat healthier uh, food. Uh, and I just hated it. And so it created this, this weird relationship with food where I will say in the last month or so, like something I've tried adopting is what I, what my aunt actually introduced when she had kids called a, a no thank you bite. And so like when Bridget would make asparagus, I'd be like, Oh fuck, I hate asparagus. But I'm like, I'm going to have like two or three pieces of it and that'll be my no thank you bite. I at least want to get it on my plate. I want to try to eat it, see if I can start implementing new foods and better foods into my diet. And then it's like the last couple of times like she's made like asparagus or green beans or something like that. It's like now I'm actually going back for a second helping because like she makes it in a way that I actually like it. Um, and I'm trying to change my relationship with food based on how I grew up with it. And I know a lot of this may seem very obvious, but I think a lot of it has come from going to therapy and kind of trying to change your behavioral conditions, like things that you think or the way you've been conditioned to do something and breaking out of that. And for me, in the last month and a half or so, I feel like it's the few things that have kind of led to more successes of like, 
yeah, I don't really want to eat vegetables because I just have a bad relationship with them from how I grew up, but I'm going to try because maybe I'll, maybe I'll find something. And the other part of it is too, is I also have really bad, like acid reflux and a lot of like things like that. So like peppers and stuff like that, like, Oh, they just fuck me up, <laughs> but I'm trying to get better about taking like a Prilosec or something. And then be like, all right, let's try to introduce some peppers and some other things. Uh, and- don't do that. Don't do that. Okay. Uh, yeah, Prilosex has just been embattled in like a fucking class action lawsuit about uh, yeah, yeah. and the esophageal cancer. It's a, it's <laughs> they. I've had a very strange journey with food. Very similar story to you. I mean, I, I was, you know, uh, there, there were definitely some horror stories from my stepdad, like f- some force feeding type, you know, shit as a kid where you, yep. you don't really understand why they're you, you as a parent. Yeah. It is your job to get your kid to try new food. Sorry. Like you got to expose them to different things, but I think there's a, what we're trying to figure out in, you know, this conversation at this point is like, you know, how do you communicate as a child's being raised? Like what the value of food is, how to, how to look at food in a positive light and how to have a relationship with food that, it is based on health and practice, right? Where you can base it on how you feel and uh, base it on like moderation, base it on things like uh, portion control, you know, in, in imbibing in certain foods versus other foods. Um, and as you're an adult, ideally, you, you know, you'd find a, a better, healthier avenue to access those types of things. I, uh, I still have a very complex relationship with food. I mean, is going into this style of like bodybuilding. I mean, I definitely can't like, there are periods of time where I, a lot of people will eat, like you even said earlier, some people, you know, you don't eat because you're hungry. You eat because you're depressed or or any other reason, perfectly valid. Um, But I think that for a lot of people, like when you're, um, you know, you have this complex relationship with food and it becomes an addiction or becomes something you're gorging yourself on, something you feel unhealthy from, um, you got to navigate back from that and, to, and find what you eat that is not only will bring you enjoyment, but long-term health benefits as well. I don't really eat. I, I love food so much. I, it's crazy. I, I have definitely shifted it from, you know, I was a picky eater as a kid, um, picky skinny eater, even into my teen years and very early twenties. But as I traveled more and as I really try to branch out more and, and process a better relationship with food in terms of how it made me feel long-term, short-term, you know, how does, how does eating nothing be, how does going to the gym fasted feel versus going in on, you know, dim sum 2000 calories for breakfast, you know, like what, what's the difference? How does that feel? What do I benefit more from depending on what I'm going through at the time? If I'm bulking or if I'm cutting, if I'm cutting, I'm eating, you know, I'm pretty much just strictly eating meats and, and, um, you know, com- complex carbs, um, no sauces, no sugars, no processed foods. And if I'm on a bulk, um, you know, I'll, I'll try to cater <laughs> my diet, but I, for the most part, if I'm on a dirty bulk, I'll eat whatever the fuck I, I'll eat. Fucking I think I've been on some food diets or food, uh, excursions with you on those. Yeah. You've, yeah. You, <laughs> I, I, you know, I love food, man. I'm a food guy. I fucking will. Will and I will go toe to toe just eating food. Um, because we both love it. There's very few things I won't eat or won't try. Um, and, you know, I, it, I, it's a weird like thing to think about. Cause I, I, 
I don't believe in like a victim mentality of like, oh, my mm. dad told me I had to eat this, and now I fucking I can't eat anything. I, but in a, in a way, it's like fuck. Even going through that, working myself out of it as an adult has led me to just as you just described, where you're like, you know what? I've got my no thank you bite, and just by doing that, just by making that conscious decision to fight that, you know, impulse of trauma, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna I I I'm liking these asparagus now. Maybe I'll try it with something else. Maybe maybe it is beneficial for me. And then maybe in a couple of years, you're going to fucking love it. You might find grilled asparagus recipe. You just crush it. You know, you, you love it. Um, part of that is just working through that experience and finding what works best for you, man. I think that that's it's really cool that you're on that journey. And you mentioned therapy helping you get there. I think that's crucial. I did that. I did a uh, an interview with uh, Heart Support Fest mm, on this yep. last one that we did with DGD. And talked with her in, in kind of a similar conversation that we've had in the past with with mental health journeys. And I think that um, that just can't be overstated, you know, kind of like going to some type of therapeutic practice and at least engaging in the exercise of self-awareness, like finding and pinpointing places in your life that are bringing you unhappiness or dissatisfaction. You know, are you on the Internet 12 hours a day, you know, just fucking spewing hate are you like just late you know so depressed you can't even move you can't even get out of bed in the morning like what can you do to address that what can you do to wake up in the morning and say okay well let's let's try some things you got to at least yeah. be willing to try you know yeah um i there are a lot of barriers with um you know the american healthcare system in terms of getting financial access to healthcare and I, I hope that we continue to improve those measures for people over time but everyone should have access to a, you know at least the the ability to hire a mental health professional and, and get some type of help through therapy i think it's really important for a lot of people coming into the world that we live in <laughs> it's uh, you know it's completely <laughs> different than when you and i were kids it's absolutely you know not to sound like a fucking boomer i got enough gray hairs for sure um but it, it's definitely a different world and i think that we have a lot of complex nuanced issues for young individuals to sort through it's probably wise that we continue to invest in mental health care for those individuals so that they can become what they want to be you know be all that they can be so I feel like I feel like sometimes I'm I'm jealous of kids growing up now cuz I feel like they have better tools to work through family issues, their own issues, whatever. I feel like there's less of a I don't want to say a destigmatization, but I feel like there's a less stigma attached. Like if you're like, "Oh, I go to therapy or I have, you know, whatever." I feel like there's more of an a social understanding of that not everyone is okay. Um, that we all are different and we go through different things and we have different thoughts and feelings and emotions. And at times I'm, I'm jealous that like kids get to kind of grow up in this, this space where I feel like they are encouraged to be more of who they want to be or who they feel they are. But at times I also feel like I'm torn because I, I wonder if, and I don't want to get on this tangent because we always end up on this tangent, but I also wonder if because of the mediums that they have available to express these things, if it's also a Man. double sword and also it creates more of like the adverse of like, I put myself out there hoping to find 
a community. And in turn, I was basically shit on and it forced me further into myself. Yeah, you can't get me started on social media, bro. We'll be here for like Sorry. six hours. Um, Sorry. <laughs> it's something I, I've been thinking about. I hate it, bro. I hate it. I think it's absolutely evil. I cannot stress that enough. I'll say it in every interview I ever do. If you can find a way to get off social media in any capacity, I would highly recommend it to every single individual that hears this message. <laughs> I think that I'm going to grab more done. water. Keep talking. Yeah, great. Grab it. But that's, uh, yeah, I stand by that for sure. I do not think it's good. I think that, um, you know, you can make every argument for technological advancement, you know, advancement of communications between individuals, staying in touch with family members. I've heard every excuse in the book, but every time I've ever talked to anyone in any business setting, um, especially in the music industry, it's like such a faux pas to not use social media. But every time, every single time, bro, I go out on tour, I meet all these people they are so nice. Like, Andrew, hey, how's it going? You know, great show. Um, where do I find you on Instagram? I said, I don't use that. I haven't used that in five years. Well, you don't, you don't use nothing. You don't use band page. Not, nope. I don't have the logins. I don't use that. And they go, man, I wish I could do that. That's every single response verbatim is a man. I wish I could do that. And it's like, well, there, no one's like forcing you at gunpoint to log into Instagram. You realize this, right? Like, they'll say, well, yeah, but I got to use it for my business. I got to use it for my social networking. I got to use it for this. It existed long before <laughs> humanity existed long before social media. It'll exist long after it's gone. Um, I think that there are more engaging ways to meet people and engage in a community and build something that's not built on machines that are built off of AI programming lobotomy methods like these. Social media companies are built for addicts, man. They're built to keep you addicted and clicking the most hateful terrible content that you possibly can how many times you've been on a social media and just starts feeding you absolute bullshit like polar opposite to what you even think or feel um how many times has it grifted you because you've talked about uh you know something that you want to, to save up for and it's just inundating you with ads right it's getting you to weirdly it's money. never the million dollars they keep talking about that i want yeah it's never yeah it's never how to get a million dollars yeah it's always some damn bro um i don't know i i can only speak from my own personal experience i think everybody yeah. can you know can attest to that i have been monumentally more happy um than i've ever been off of social media and the longer that i'm off the longer that feeling is solidified within me um can I, I just, uh, I've, you know, I just got to a point. I just don't, it's not even, I, I don't see the point behind it in a lot of respects. I'm uh, everybody in the industry. When I first got off, thought I was an idiot. They were told <laughs> to be successful in music. Um, seven billboard charting records later. I'm more successful than I've ever been in music. Um, despite not, in, not having it for five years. Um, and Idola is not a social media band. I'm really excited for the next phase of Idola in particular because of that. Like I've been pretty outspoken about this for a long time. And so it's like, okay, well, what, what can you do that's actionable? You know, what can you do that's like, um, that just shows you're willing to put your money where your mouth is on this uh, is kind of how I looked at it for myself. I'll, and, um, it's really cool. I actually had a meeting with Sean Haydorn with at Rise and Sony BMG um, last week, and hmm. they 
approved all of my plans for the Idola rollout for our double album. Um, and one so single. I'm really one stoked. single. Yep, just one single. 15 months. No, <laughs> it's going to be really good. I'm really excited. I, I can't share a ton about it at like right up front right now. But what I can tell you is it's we have our double album that you and I've talked about. It's 26 yep. songs. It's divided into two separate releases. The releases are completely polarly, you know, polarity wise juxtaposed. It's a similar right. concept to, to Genera Terra in terms of how it's laid out musically. Um, and and it's the final installment of our theological concept series in Idola, uh, and it covers all the bases. So the way that I've described it, to, like I pitched it to our label, as I said, you think about some of our most popular songs with Idola, and it tends to be songs like either Humble Ledger and Low Tie or songs like Mutual Fear and uh, Caustic Prayer. Like it's either really pretty somber melancholy ballads or it's like fucking rippers it's you know it's yeah. like kick the teeth you you know start the pit up fucking jammers <laughs> and so we're like okay how how can we take the concept and polarize it in this really s cinematic eclectic and larger than life way uh that encapsulates both territories of our sound that we will how can we explore those um more intensely and mm. so i took that concept ran with it and just went yin yang with it i just said okay here we go uh we're gonna take the first half it's gonna be drop tune seven strings you know we're gonna go drop g drop a b flat and we're just gonna go hard like sonically lyrically thematically chaotic focused on death destruction loss pain sorrow um you know hatred uh, resentment there's a lot of lyricism in there that's really focused on like all the great wars throughout human history and theological history all of the the genocide um even from a historical or theological perspective that we're always engaged in this was like violence i would say it was how if i had to describe it in one word it would be violence um the second half however is the polar opposite it's how could we sonically thematically and lyrically explore peace, forgiveness, compassion, um, community, love, overcoming obstacles, right? Um, heroicism, um, standing up for uh, the downtrodden, like how, like the most peaceful, unified, community-based periods of human history and theology. How can we focus on that? And sonically, you know, bringing in symphonic orchestra, um, a lot of piano layering, vocal, a lot more dense vocal harmonic content, um, less abrasive content. And so it's, as far as a piece of music goes, I, this is definitely Idola's like crowning piece of music, I would say, just out of how ambitious it was to undertake going and doing this type of, this type of thing. So obviously you can imagine my crazy ass going to the label and being like, yeah, so, you know, I know everybody's doing singles and shit, but I have like a <laughs> theologically psychology, psychological band that uh, is, you know, it's, it's got all these different genres. I want to do 26 songs. Um, so obviously, yeah, you can, you can see like how the music industry is. They're very hesitant. They're like, okay, well, we need the funding for these things. We need to do music videos. And I'm out here as like an artist just trying to get things moving on it so right um where we're at with it um we had originally had some plans to come out with the first half this year 
finish recording the second half and and have that come out early next year. But right after we got done recording the the, the first half, right? We right. Done recording the first half, which I think is when we uh, last talked. Yes, yeah, it's mixed, yep. it's mastered, it's ready to go. Mike Som crushed it, absolute legend. Um, I'm super proud of it. And we filmed a music video in Las Vegas that's just awesome. It involves me. I'm sword fighting. There's like <laughs> crazy uh, there's a, we did it in the desert. There's this crazy thing. It's, it's nuts. Um, it's going to be awesome. But after we start putting the pieces together for this con, this content to start rolling out, uh, we found out our drummer, Matt Hansen, um, his wife was pregnant with their first baby. And so mm. they actually just welcomed him into the world, uh, last week. Um, mm. his name is Hugh Eric Hansen. He's their first baby. And, uh, just, just amazing. I mean, he's, he's always wanted to be a father. It's just an incredible moment, but we had talked about what, how we were going to put this out in terms of how we could really do it justice for the way that we want to do it for our fans. How can we make sure that Matt's involved throughout the entire process um, that he has time home with his family to like actually be with his newborn baby. And we were looking at the schedule in combination with Dance Gavin Dance's schedule, which has been absolutely hectic. I mean, we Dance Gavin Dance, we just finished writing. It was me, Matt, Will, and Sergio. We got in a room together and we wrote 10 songs in 10 days, um, which was insane. My brain was fucking fried. I've never, I've never been in an environment like that because we would we would write and demo right in a row. So like we would get there, like I'd go to the gym in the morning, get my stuff, pick up Sergio and Will. We'd go over to the studio, meet Matt there. Um, and we would just grind and we would just start writing and we would write a song and then we'd go across the hall in the, in black box studios in Las Vegas and Spencer from periphery. That's where he works out of. That's his studio. And so he would bring us in and we would start tracking. We'd start demoing the song and we would kick out one to two songs a day and just, tr we'd write and we'd track, we'd write and we'd track. And then we'd have 10, 12, 13 hour days and just, mm. It, the most insane DGD material that I've ever been a part of. Um, really, really stoked on how that all came together. But when you think about all the, all the recording that goes into that, we have to record all the instruments. Then I have to fly out and do vocals with John and Tillian in a couple of separate sessions. And then uh, the jackpot juicer tour starts. And then it's uh, pretty much the end of the year. We have, we have another one other tour that's international to announce with that band. And that's pretty much it. But, to be able to like, we talked about every plan in the book, bro. We, we talked about doing some split tours with some of our friend bands. Um, you know, we talked about doing some mini support tours here and there and just none of it felt right. Like we kept going through thinking about, okay, how can we put this record out and give it its best shot? Like it's best live performances, it's best music video content, it's best engagement with the actual followers and the fans of, of what we do. And none of the options felt right, man. They kicked us like 50 options of what to do and nothing felt like it was, it was going to do the album justice, especially with this being a double album and kind of being our last like big con concept album. Nothing really felt like it was going to do it justice. It just felt like it was cut it was cut, it was selling it short for all of us artistically and in multitude of other ways and then taking matt away from his kid i, I just don't feel like any of us felt like that was justified um and we don't want to do it without him because he's such an integral part of the group 
and it's it's a passion project for us. It's like it's something that we do because we love it, not just not because we make bank off of it or anything. Um, so we you know we had a discussion, and I think the plan moving forward is that we're going to finish recording the second half by the end of the year. We have enough time that I can go out and record everything else that I need to do for the second component of the record. Um, and then we have a really cool thing that we're going to be announcing. That's going to be our rollout for both albums. So we're going to roll out 26 songs. We're going to do the, all the vinyl printing, all the CDs. It'll all be out next year within a 12 month window. Um, we'll have a tours behind both cycles for the record. I mean, it's going to be a very busy year for Idola. Uh, and that's kind of what the intention is, is like to really go all out for the project and do it justice that we feel like it deserves and that we feel like our fans deserve from us. And so um, it's definitely a bit of a wait, but this is like, this is every Idola record I've ever done has been delayed by a year every single time. <laughs> it's it's like it happens without fail. It happens degenerate Terra, it happened on Speak to Listen, it happened with the architect. Um, this one, at least I think for us, was it was good reasoning. It's not quite as long of a wait as we've done before. Um, and we're really yeah. excited. We're gonna be we're gonna be launching like a a, a community-based environment that I'm really excited about that's gonna allow us to like do the social media thing like the thing that people like in bands which is the content right like you should you should listen generally you, you're going to listen to a band because you enjoy the thing that they make right right you enjoy the songs that they write you enjoy the visuals that they provide like you know what if i can give you an environment to interact with us that's that's direct you know and right. it's not it's not on a web it's not on fucking some patreon or some other shit this is going to be completely ours and so i'm excited to show people it's a very unique style to roll everything out uh, but it's a lot of content we've got we're going to have a bunch of music videos that i'm really proud of um some treatments that i had a direct hand in the the music's insane man i think i've written between those the, the 26 idola songs the 12 or so dgd songs and then some other solo material i think i've written like 45 songs in the last third 14 months 15 jesus months. <laughs> So I'm inspired, man. This is, I would say, like, I'm really excited. <laughs> this is a part of, like, there was a period where I was so depressed in 28. I mean, when we had our some of our first conversations, man, yeah. I was so depressed at, about the music industry and the world and my life. And just, I didn't think I could do it. I didn't think I could keep doing it. Um, I was I was definitely going to quit music on multiple occasions. Um, I didn't think I was good enough. I didn't think I could hack it. I didn't think, you know, a, a million things I thought. I, and I thought I was going to quit multiple times. Um, and there was a period where I couldn't write almost anything for almost a year. Like I, mm. I, I had, it was like the well had run dry. It was like, what the fuck? Like I couldn't write anything substantive that I was really proud of for almost a year. It was like 10 months or something, just nothing. And, um, now it's like the faucet. It's like I have the faucet on. I've got the hose <laughs> on. I've got another sink on another project that's running. Like, um, I, I'm really excited, man. I, I'm really excited for what's coming in terms of the music. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be dope. There's, there's so much that I want to comment on in everything <laughs> you've said over the last little bit. Um, I think like one of the and there's not really a linear fashion that I feel like I need to hit any of these things on, but just kind of hitting them as I think about them. But 
I mean, one of the first things as I, I listened to everything and I wanted to say this and I've been meaning to say this kind of throughout the conversation and I don't think I've even sent it to you just in general, but like, so for those listening, and I know I've said this to you, like I had never seen Idola. And, mm-hmm. you know, I count, I always say in our conversations, like, I'm not really the DGD fan. I'm the Idola fan because I had, that's, I found your music when I was booking shows and I was excited to be like, I love this music and I want to see it live. Ironically, you weren't able to do the show that I booked and then DGD became your focus. So like Idola just wasn't tour. It wasn't really the, the focus at the time. And mm. the infrequent touring you did was usually not, really anywhere near me or at least B markets. And so it became this thing where it became this thing where I had never seen the band that I know you for when I talk Mm. about you, even when I do the intros and outros, it's, it's Andrew from Idola, not dance, Gavin dance. And it's this thing where on this last tour cycle for the architect, it's the first time I got to see you uh, play shows. And it became this thing where, I feel like it was the first time getting to see you mm-hmm. see you as the artist that I, I as yeah, as the performer that you know me as. Yeah. Right. But had I mean, never gotten to see you as that performer, that side of you has always existed kind of in a mental state, like where it's like, Oh, I think this is what it'd be like. And you know, YouTube and all that kind of stuff exists, but it's a completely different thing when you see it in person. Not the same. Yeah. Definitely. And yeah. the thing was, is I remember, we were in Atlanta and I, I didn't get to hang out with you that day. Like I, I, I saw you a couple of times, but I couldn't get your attention to be like, Hey, I'm here. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was this thing where, you know, th- so the first time I'm seeing you bef- even before the show, which I, it would be interesting to see if it would change how this, this experience was for me. But I think you are actually doing caustic prayer. And there's and I if I remember correctly now having seen you guys twice on that tour I think that's you know, maybe I'm jumping the gun but I think it's where you usually would be like oh like pull out your phones or whatever and there's like a, a kind of a more of an interactive part to the song yeah and, that that, um, that one's called that one's low tie but yeah that's it's like low tie caustic prayer I think was the okay. set list of that one. yeah they're okay so it became this thing where there's a moment during caustic prayer and even when I hear the song like because today I was listening to it even and I just it's now the image I get when I listen to the song is, you know, there's kind of a moment where you're not singing and it's kind of an instrumental break and you're kind of like seeing you in Atlanta. I can still kind of picture it in my head, like where you're smiling and you're looking at everybody. And I remember I was smiling and Bridget looked at me and she was like, why are you smiling? And I was like, because like, that's my friend. And like, he's, (laughs) he's doing the thing that I know him for. And that like, I think makes him who, like the incredible person that he is not, not to take away from what you do in DGD or being a musician or anything like that. But like, this is the thing that makes me think of you like in, and your creative output. And I go, and there's people here and like, they're having a great time. And it's like this moment. And it's like, it's, it's the moment I know that when he sees it from his perspective, I assume that this is what makes it all worth it. And definitely a hundred percent that, that tour in particular, man, that, that the headliner, that we did in November was like, it really made me want to keep going with this project uh, because it, you know, historically is like, it's, it's been a great project. It's been a lot of fun. I, I've, I've put a lot of time and work and hard effort into it. And 
um, just like with any band, it's a, it's a slow grow, but it's always like you look back on it and it's crazy. I mean, I, I was doing tours with like a lot like birds where I was the merch guy for Stolas. It was Stolas, Cianvar, <laughs> a lot like birds. The, in the, tour? Oh. the Venetia fair was the opening. Oh, game. Joe. That's how I found out about you guys. Yep. Yeah. Now is a nice that kills. <laughs> yeah. 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 Joe cutie. We go way back, man. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, that was the first tour I ever did. I think it was like 22 or 23 years old, something like that. Um, I think it was 23. I think Kurt, Kurt turned 30 on that tour. I'm 31. <laughs> oh shit. And, uh, so many stories from that tour, man, but it was so crazy. Cause at the time, I mean, they, we, they were playing shows to like 20 people, bro, like 40 people, 50 people, you know, you go to El Paso, Texas, no one shows up. You play at a VFW in Rhode Island and 10 people braved the storm to get there. Right? <laughs> and I remember at the time thinking, this is the, this is crazy, man. We're out here in a van. Everybody's coming to the shows. This shit's popping. And then, you know, you, but then you do it with your band, you play with Idola and it's the first, your first ever headliner in a van and you're all fucking 20 something years old no one knows who the fuck you are and you play to 50 kids and you're like damn it why you i mean i wish 100 people would be here i wish right. 300 people would be here and then you get to where idola has is now where it's like we sold out the el rey in los angeles which is like almost 900 people we sold out the um goldfield in sacramento and we oversold it at 660 people i mean mm. like that those might be fucking you know small numbers to bigger bands but dgd was not doing those types of, dgd was doing those types of rooms when i started seeing them after tillian was in the band i mean i started going i the first dgd show i ever went to was at uh was in salt lake city and it was at a place called in the venue and there was maybe 65 people there it was on the rise <laughs> records tour with memphis fucking Mayfire Mayfire. Yep. and secrets yep. and they did that tour in salt lake and it was like it was like 100 kids tops paid for that show um i remember D we idola opened for dgd the first time we opened for them was on a routing show to that tour. It was, we did B markets. We did like Joliet and Springfield and uh black sheep in Colorado Springs. And I remember that tour and it was, I mean, dude, like two, 300 people, you know, like max on some of these shows. And that really was, that was back in 2015. Right. Mm. So if you think about that, so it's, I joined up with them. It's been eight years. And that's been, you know, it's been a grower over those eight years. And so now, yeah, it's amazing that dance can play three, you know, 4,000 cap rooms. But to see Idola grow, it's a place, it's something that I have a lot of ownership in. DGD is a very collaborative project. It really right. is. I mean, every musician in that band functions at an extremely high level. They expect absolute perfection from themselves and from everyone else in the project. And so it's a very it's a very high minded, like fucking intense project. It's very collaborative. Everybody's like the alpha in this situation. Everybody's going for the gold every time. <laughs> Whereas Idola is made up of a lot more in terms of like their own space as artists. They're, they're very humble. They, they, they have other avenues, like, you know, other careers that they engage in that they're really passionate about. Um, and they're great musicians, but when it comes to Idola, a 
the great majority of the content comes from my brain. And that's just, that's just like the factual reality of how the songs come together is like, I sit down and I will write them. I'll write the guitar. I'll write the bass. Uh, I'll write all the melodic content, all the piano, and I'll write the drums. And then Hanson will come in and dramatically improve the drums. Cause I'm not a drummer. And then Sergio will come in and he'll be Sergio. He'll do his Sergio thing and he'll fucking shred. Like he always does. He'll lay down his guitar parts. And then we put the record together. And um, Matt Domer has been amazing as well throughout that process. He comes in and uh, especially with vocals, the last couple of cycles, the new album, his vocals are all over it as a heavy screaming vocalist. His lyrical contributions were amazing. I mean, the guy's just incredibly talented. Um, and the new, the second half, he, he and I've actually been writing that at length the past six months. And he's been coming to the table with some really incredible guitar work that uh, he's been working on intensely for the last couple of years, um, really trying to branch into songwriting versus just playing. And it's been really yeah. cool, man, to see the evolution um, of the people that you're in bands with, but I, I'm just, I'm really excited, man. It's going to be a great, uh, I'm yeah. I just can't tell you how excited I am. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. I'm really proud of the music that we've been able to, to make as a team as a unit so it's been interesting to to be a part of the journey of of the band for clearly not the beginning of it but like i'd say 70 the better part of yeah the part the part of the functional aspect of it for yeah sure. the, like, like the, the more like beyond a local scene side of it Definitely. and yep. it's been interesting because i feel like on a personal level, it's it's been interesting to see your relationship with it all, where there were times where you were mad at the thing that allowed you to have the time and the budget to spend on your creative outlet and the music business side of things and how it can can kind of make not the thing you want and that you're passionate about be presented as such like almost like it's an afterthought because DGD is the thing. So, you know, to speak to listen when it came out, you know, I remember us talking about how you're like, yeah, it sucked. Like I didn't really get to support it. And it was almost like it was an afterthought and it obviously wasn't to me and da, 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 da. And the, your relationship with DGD and I think the band and, and the music industry at the time was very volatile. Cause it, was almost like, yeah, I get to do this thing that pays my bills and gives me the the thing that everyone would want, think they'd want. But creatively and artistically, I'm robbed because I didn't get to showcase this side of me and really present it in the level that I feel like it should have been. Like all the blood, sweat, and tears and everything I put into it. And I don't even get to kind of like experience or share that with anyone. It just kind of exists and then it's done. And I feel like there was a, obviously a more interesting duality uh, to the architect. And as I listened to it more, and I think, and sometimes, you know, when I was, I was thinking about this today, actually when listening to the architect, cause I feel like when it came out, like maybe I was too close to you and, and knowing the behind the scenes stuff of, of potentially what went into the architect. So like, that's what I heard when I kept hearing the record is kind of a lot of vitriol and a lot of, you know, upset like being upset with things maybe about yourself you don't like the industry you don't like your circumstance that you don't like and working your way through it musically and lyrically and finding the themes that you were bringing into it that apply to it to make it you know more grandiose but 
when I listen to the record now, it's interesting because I feel like it's, it's a catharsis. It's something that had to happen. And it's one of those things that, you know, kind of correlating therapy and so forth um, to a lot of what we talk about, about expanding ourselves and, and the understanding of who we are and who we want to be and how to get there and kind of getting out of our own way. I feel like the architect really is something where when I kind of think about it from that prism on the journey I've been on with weight loss and stuff like that, I think maybe is making it more present. But I, I hear that these aren't things where before where I heard you and I felt sorry and I felt sad. Now I hear these songs and when I hear them, I realize it's an understanding and that there's a, it's something that I think you have to come to, you have to kind of earn. And it's funny because when I hear you, and this is kind of one of the things when I was saying earlier, like there's so many things about what you've been saying about your journey with the band yourself and everything where I kind of want to pick little pieces out. And this is kind of my thing where I'm like, you know, we've talked about several times the last time we talked and even now where you're saying, you know, this is going to be the last of the big thematic records and, and all this kind of stuff. And at times I hear an underlying message of there's finality that this is done. I no longer need to speak to this because Idola is more of a concept from start to finish. It's a, it's a story. It's a lesson. And once I get to the end, I no longer have anything to teach you. Everything I have to say is contained within these four five, six records, depending on how far on either side you want to go. And it becomes this thing where I feel like the architect is kind of the beginning of what I hear this sonic journey of someone trying to find themselves, someone trying to make sense of the world, you know, even going back to Jujanatera, I don't necessarily know what that phrase means. It's a, it's a great sounding record. I remember that was what intrigued me when I got the email. I was like, Jujanatera, what the fuck is this? All right, I'll open this email from Joe. And as I listened to a song, you know, like second temple, and like even the way you broke that record down where there's there's obviously to me seemingly like philosophical passages within these things you're taking lessons you're learning this is lesson 1 this is lesson 2 this is lesson 3 and then maybe the part of degenatera as a record going into speak to listen you should speak but more so listen that's the more in focused part that's the end of this thing to where when you get to the architect it's everything you've been learning and it's a little more focused in its aggression. It's a little more understanding and nuanced. And I feel like compassionate in the more slower parts. And I feel like it really is painting this picture of a person growing. And that has been the thing today when I listen to the newest record, and I've been listening to it, that I feel like that is the conclusion I came to. And I've been wondering, because we've been talking about this next double album and and maybe that it's the end and you know i picked up maybe it's a nonverbal clue where you're saying i'm working on solo material to me idola is your solo material as i've come to know it but if you're telling me that there's solo material then i'm like okay then idola as the vehicle and vessel for what you need to say is done now maybe solo material for you is andrew wells and we get to finally see who you really are I know that's a very long-winded fucking thing. I love it, dude. Yeah, things I've been thinking of like as it. you've been as you've been talking and thoughts I'm having about you as a musician, the musical journey you've gone on, the personal journey you've gone on, even in these podcasts where we can kind of pinpoint these these things 
Um, and that's the one thing. It's funny. As much as I hated the idea of having repeat guests, you're the perfect example of why having a repeat guest is fucking awesome when the person is willing to kind of share and, and be immersive in, in their experiences yeah. because I feel like we can kind of see this journey over time. Definitely, man. I think you made a lot of really great points that I I really appreciate hearing just hearing how you process and interpret the the art that I make. It's a, that alone is like an astounding thing. Like I made a thing that you resonate enough with that you have like a, a view of it. Like you've interpreted it in a way that's personal to you and, and you're spot on with a lot of things. Like when I went into the project, it's really, it's, it's a human experimentation project. It's like, I write from a lot of different purviews um, from Degenerate onwards. It's like philosophy, psychology, um, theology, history. I mean, you name it. I'm like, I'm trying to pull from the wealth of human experience throughout all of history. Right. And so I use a lot of real world references um, and they're, they're hidden. I mean, even the name Degeneratera comes from a physics concept based on the heat death of the universe, where there's a third stage of entropy called the degenerate era. Mm. Um, if you look at that concept and then you tie that in with how some of the Hindi concepts of like Brahman versus Atman or the Kali Yuga side, the Yuga cycles, you can kind of pinpoint a lot of the philosophy that I engage in or a lot of, a lot of thematic and theological um, thinking of where my brain has developed over time. And you made a point with like the journey of how many times throughout this, where I've had a conflict or a struggle with the music industry side and through therapy and just actually living through it and experiencing it, I've come to a much better, more healthy relationship with understanding that, that there there's a balance of paying your dues, right? You have to really earn your keep in the music industry. It's extremely cutthroat. I would not recommend it to most people um, as far as making a career out of it. But if you can go in with the right intention and you can say, I want to start a band because I want to create, I want to be a creationist in a way. I want to create something that comes from my soul and I want to give it to others, right? If you're coming from that place and you have no other expectations, I think music and art regardless of what mediums you use is a very healthy thing to engage in. I think it's very enriching for your soul and your mind. And where a lot of people fall short is when they get wrapped up in the industry side, where they tie their identity to this one thing. They say, I am this, I am Andrew from Idola. That's the only thing I could ever be. Um, I'm Andrew. That's going to join dance Gavin dance in 2018 and gets denied the opportunity. And you know, I'm, I, I've, I've tied myself to this identity for so long. I can't even picture what that's like without it. Right. That becomes very harmful. Um, and that applies to any, any facet of life. If you hitch yourself to one thing and one thing only, I think you're going to find yourself pretty lost and disappointed at various points in your life when that one thing gets shattered or moved or changed in some way and you can't change with it and you reach a, an impasse, it, it, very, very bad for your mental health. And that happened to me on a number of occasions in the music industry where I felt like I either wasn't being valued enough uh, respected enough. Like my music hadn't reached a certain amount of people. I mean, it was the fucking pity party, bro. Like it, it, it isn't, and it is right. You, you don't, you want to give it the space that it needs to grow through it. You don't want to minimize the fact that you feel a certain way, 
But at the end of the day, what are you left with? Like if the, if these people aren't respecting you the way that you want, change your outlook, change your mentality, respect yourself first, and then go out and and go and work harder, outwork them, out outshine them. Like it's it's up to you to do that. And that's what I decided to do over the years. Is I said, you know what? No, I'm not doing the social media. I'm not doing this other stuff. I'm not going to be a skinny guy anymore. I'm not going to fucking take shit from anybody. I'm not gonna. Like they were just boundaries that I had to set over time where I said, no, there's a certain window of tolerance that I have. Mm. And if I keep things within that window of tolerance, everything's kosher. Everything's amazing. My life functions the way that it's supposed to. Um, when I allow things to go outside of that window of tolerance is where um, manic behaviors or suicidality creep in, intrusive thoughts. I mean, you name it. Um, I think that... I had to grow through that as a 20 year old, 25 year old, 27 year old kid at the time, you know, like in the music industry, that's, that's, that's what I did is like, I, you know, and anyone would tell you, especially this like particular subsection of the music industry, there's like labels and agents and all these other things that all the other guys don't ever want to talk about. Like it's a very volatile industry. I'm not going to name names, but I know a lot of people in a lot of bands that get fucked over. If you're not a like an original providing member, there's a lot of contract language that will fuck your shit up, um, that will rob you blind and leave you fucking resentful. Um, it's your responsibility to carve your own path in that. And the reason that they have a perceived leg up on you is because they, you know, they have the fans or they have this income stream. It's like if you continue to double down on yourself, work on yourself, continue to proliferate and build good relationships and connections, try to treat people as best as you can. I think that you in my experience, that's what led me through it. That's what allowed me to grow from those points of contention in the music industry to say, you know what, I'm sick of feeling mad all the time sick of feeling slighted all the time like i need to find a better healthier outlet for this where i'm engaged in music in a positive healthy cathartic way again and the architect was really a, an explorative journey on cutting out the parts of me that were holding me back cutting out the parts of me that were holding me down and keeping me a slave to my own mindset of just being a, a victim being, uh, you know, a, you call yourself all sorts of names. Everybody does this to themselves, you know, they'll demean themselves into the ground and it's just not healthy to do that. You got to love yourself. You got to respect yourself and you got to try to lift yourself up. And the architect was a cathartic musical experience for me in shedding those layers of what was really holding me back from my potential of just having a more positive interaction with music in general. And so I think I'm super glad and grateful to hear that you can hear that in the music, that you can hear both sides of it, knowing me personally and what I went through to get there and then knowing me on the back half of it and even how it's applied to yourself. I always try to write music from that standpoint, like a painting that you can go back to regardless of where you're at in your life and you'll, you're ideally will learn new things from it every time that you revisit it. That's my intention every time that I try to write a cohesive piece of music. You know, I might have other little intentions on what's this song about? How do I explore these themes? But in terms of an album concept, that that's really what I try to embody. And um, to your last point about like solo material, 
Idola is a solo project in a way, but it is also, it's extremely collaborative. I mean, it's led by me in this process of experimentation, but it's with other musicians that really make it its unique flavor, right? It's, it's, you know, um, I don't, I don't want to use more food analogies, so I won't, but you know, like it's, it's like, it's like you got to have all these cooks in the kitchen to make a truly like diverse, unique meal. And these guys bring a lot to the table that I couldn't do myself, just an alternative perspective on music. Um, solo material from me would not be relegated to this genre. I would put it that way. Um, I've been, ha I've had a lot of different conversations with, a lot of different people, a lot of musicians that I've worked with in the industry that are also fed up with just how the industry standard is towards artists. A lot of the times, I mean, you made a joke to me. Um, what was it yesterday? <laughs> today. No, it's today. Enjoy your, enjoy your point zero 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 one cent stream income. <laughs> Cause uh, you listen to the, to uh, ancient temperament. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah, just things like that. It's not always labels and agents and all this. It's like, there are, you know, there are a lot of things that, that try to take as much money from the actual artist as possible yeah. um, before it gets down to the artist at the base level. And um, so, you know, in terms of solo material like that, that's, that's going to be a unique independent opportunity for me to explore different musical territory with a new crew of people. And that could be right. evolving and changing. Could be some people, you know, could be some people you never heard of. Um, could be producers you've never heard of in a genre that you didn't expect. I mean, you probably expect it, but it, it <laughs> just it's going to be really cool, man. I'm really excited. And because I've grown through that therapeutic process, going to therapy every week and, and really engaged in this type of self-aware attempt at self-awareness, um, I'm more ready than ever to take on those responsibilities in those projects and deliver and really come to the table with something, something new and something fresh. Um, as far as Idola goes, though, we've we've discussed it. I, I you, you know, I think you're right in saying like there, the piece of music that I've delivered with this double album, and then in the context of the entire concept, the theological philosophical concept, um, this will be everything I need to say within that context. I think within how it's perfectly woven as a narrative, as a piece of lesson learning from start to finish, all of the um, symbolism, all of the references, like it's, I'm really proud of how it's built. I think it's built in a really interesting way that's going to bring people back to it if they give it a chance. And whatever Idola does next after that, like 2025 onward, I I think it will be more of an exercise in how collaborative the band can really be. Um, my vision for the future, this would be like a stretch goal would be to rent a cabin in Alaska and just have all of our recording equipment and a bunch of gear go up to see our boy, Matt, and just sit in a studio for like two months, right? You sit there for eight weeks and it's just us and an engineer, us and a producer. And we just sit in Alaska in the middle of the woods and we write together. It's not me having all these pre-written songs beforehand or, um, you know, having everything perfectly organized or having a concept ready. Even it would be us in a room together, authentically making music like a band. And uh, I think that would provide its own super unique 
an interesting piece of music and piece of art. It would be very relevant to whatever success or failures we experience between now and then. We'd be able to ideally um, verbalize that through music in a really productive way with something that is authentic to us as individuals. So that's like a long goal. I know that's like a big dream, but I, I would love that. I think it'd be sick. I'd go fishing every damn day. Dude. <laughs> I think it's, uh, I think it's, it's as it's funny. Cause like, as you're saying all that, I feel like you're going to become one of those people where, you become this person when I talk about it. And I mean, they're already kind of there because it's funny. Like, you know, I was, uh, I shared the same uh, screenshot I had sent you. I was actually listening to that song earlier as well. And I was on my old co-hosts discord server thing. And like one of the tabs is like, what are you listening to now? And I knew probably no one in that discord thing knew what the architect was, but I know it's a visually interesting album cover so if i screenshot it and send sure, it in yeah. someone might be like oh what's that literally like minutes later someone commented i'm intrigued and i was like go check it out um and it's a thing where when i kind of think of like you you know a lot of people you exist as andrew from dgd and i always <laughs> kind of i now associate you like i've always kind of associated you just andrew but it's funny because uh, one of my favorite comments when you listen to other podcasts is like when someone leaves a band, you then have to change their band name or how you associate them. Because it's like when you meet someone on tour, it's like, oh, you're Andy Idola or you're Andy uh, DGD or something like that. Like that would be how someone probably would put you in their phone so they know who you are. Yeah, they'd re- so yeah when definitely. You, so when you don't exist in that space for someone anymore and now you're something beyond that or you've grown – it kind of fucks with people and it has become this thing where like, even like I said, sending that same screenshot to someone, I was like, Oh, this is a, you know, Andrew from Idola. But then I was like, okay, they don't know who Idola is. So I need to use a different frame of reference to get them to be like, Oh, I, I guess I know who that person is or whatever. And so I was like, Oh, I guess most of you would probably know him as Andrew from dance, Gavin dance. And it's been kind of funny to, to think about that because it's interesting to think about how we exist for, for each other. Like I'm sure to a lot of people, I'm the guy who did the pod that we did a podcast with and you're your podcast guy or your grand Rapids guy or your Michigan guy, Midwest guy, whatever, however, or wherever I fit into your box of how you remember me. And it's been interesting to kind of think as, because since I've gotten to know you, I I've actually not really listened to the music because I feel like it's a little bit, weird for me at times because I know who you are. So when I listen to these things and I pick up on lyrics or even just kind of themes or ideas or more of an expression at times, it kind of, especially when I hear something like some of the stuff where I feel like I know where the, the pain and the, like the anger is coming from. It's hard to listen to that. Um, And it's, it's something that as I have befriended so many people, and when I get to know some of these people, it's like, oh, I kind of know more of your story. And it, it's kind of weird to listen to your your music because it, I know where it comes from, or I think I have more of a connection to where it came from. And so oh, this is really... You're going to have a real tough time with the new one. <laughs> well, and I think, honestly, that's that's why, like, I think, like, 
in some instances, I think I'm honestly like, you know, and this is the thing I think fans as a whole kind of are, we're always like an album behind because depending on how far yeah. radical you go, it's going to take some time to, to really figure out what we're feeling on that record. That is what you were feeling. Cause it's not what we were expecting. And, you know, I always talk about on this podcast, how weird it is for artists, because it's like, you're living the things that are going to inspire what you create coming up next that you're making but we won't hear it for two years or a year or however long it takes for you to get that thing out and then you have to go back and relive that thing to talk about it and then play it and all that stuff but you're still being inspired to create the new things that we're then going to hear two years later so it's a weird shifting of times yeah, and, and and all that telling me. <laughs> and so it just becomes this thing where you know it's something i i, I latch on to and i think for a while and maybe it's because of the conversation we had around the time to be, to speak, to listen that I didn't really want to listen to that record. Mm -hmm. And to is kind of where I feel like it's sort of, it's, it's still reminds me of like, as far as relationships go, like one of my favorite parts of new relationships is the new beginning. It's learning everything new about somebody and like Very the good. excitement of learning that person. And so since that was my first record of yours, and also when you and I first started talking, there's like all of those, for as weird as it sounds, romanticized like firsts for us. Sure. And yeah, yeah, yeah. it becomes weird to think about music from that perspective. If you ever get to that level where you can have that kind of extra layer of bonding. And when I listen to Jenna Terra, like that's what I hear. It's the exploratory nature of a relationship, the, the first of sure, everything. Yeah, 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 quite, yeah. And um, yeah, no, that makes sense. And it's weird. And it's, it's really taken. And I still really don't like to, uh, don't really listen to, to speak to listen for the reason that I just said, but like I have really latched on to the architect in the last like, three Thanks, four weeks and i don't know if it's like a subconscious thing of like because i'm kind of going through this exploratory thing of like trying to be healthy and, and figuring things out and kind of finding like a new i don't want to say another why but a new why like the purpose sure and yeah. it's one of those things where maybe i'm picking up themes and stuff like that where it's like oh i feel like this is someone going through the same thing as me but i feel like Personally, I know it is because that's the era of where you were in your life when you were creating this. So it's yep. it's interesting that like I wasn't there with you at the time when the record dropped. But I was get it. I was personally like there, but like mm. mentally and maybe like on a different level, I wasn't. And now I am. Sure. And so yep. it's it's interesting to kind of have that connection now. And it's also a part of a different journey of myself at this point at the same time. That's that's what I'm all about, man. I love that. I love meeting people like you from all over the world that share that that same mentality. I think it's a huge thing. I mean, to give you perspective on the new one too, like I recorded vocals for the new Idola record. Uh, I wrote, I like wrote the rest of the lyrics and recorded the vocals um, two months after Tim died. Uh, yep. That was going to be what I assumed was going to be. And I was so, I was so, oof, it was rough. It was, it was very rough. I'd lost a lot of people that year, but that, that one in particular still hurts every day. Um, like I was easily one of my best friends I've ever had. 
uh, we were like brothers. I, I genuinely loved Tim with my whole heart. And so going in and having to, you know, like no one in particular, but the music industry will look, they'll laugh at you if, if you take any time to do anything like, um, you know, Oh, you have vocal surgery. Well, it sucks to be you. You got to go on this tour until you tell them, no, I'm not going on the tour. I have to have vocal surgery. I have to rest so I can do this other tour successfully for your other band that makes more money. Like, right. Uh, Oh, your dog died. Well, sucks. You got to get on a plane to LA tomorrow. You know, it's like, that's how fucking vicious that shit is at times. Right. Um, and it's no one in particular. It's the machine of the industry that treats the artists as disposable. It's been that way since the beginning. It'll be that way till the bitter end. I fully believe that. Um, but my job as an artist is to go outside of that, is to persevere beyond that, is to do what I can to verbalize my experiences in a way that ideally will help other people, will be cathartic for them, will at least give them a frame of reference of some some semblance of what they're going through. That would be ideal. And every uh, most people in their lives experience loss, and they, they'll know the heartbreak, the guilt, the anger, the hatred, the resentment. I mean, you can hear it on this new Idol record. It's pretty, it's pretty intense. I would say it's definitely the most personal um, – release that I've had. And, and it's worked out in a really cathartic way for me because I was able to process that pain in a very productive way. That wasn't just me abusing drugs and alcohol or personal relationships. Um, it, it wasn't me, you know, spiraling into suicidality or looking at my friend who had passed and, um, you know, backsliding on it, all the work that I'd done over the past five years. Um, I, I, I channeled it, you know, I felt Tim was with me throughout the entire process. I felt like he was, he was watching over me and helping me with that process and just being able to get what I needed to say out. And the second component, I'm glad we did it in this order. Cause we could have, we could have tried to do flip, you know, we tried to kind of try to do the cool, happy, everything's fine record first but it would have been so <laughs> disingenuous and inauthentic it would have been absolute dog shit everyone who would have heard it would have seen right through it um you you know it, it happened the way that it was meant to happen which was allowing me to, to really get that out and put it out in a way that was healthy for me and now with mend it's been a, it's a year later since tim passed um you know 13 months later and I still miss him every day. But in terms of how my life has changed, even in the last 12 months, um, I've, I've definitely had a lot of great realizations, a lot of really intensive work with my therapist and in my personal relationships and my creative relationships that have just, I'm, I feel like I'm more foundationally established and healthier and I can participate in that writing process in a more authentic way where it's like, Oh, I can write in a major key again. <laughs> You know, I can write something. I can write in a major. I can write a funk part and be like, "Yeah, I, I could." You know, I want to dance to this. I feel, I feel happy or contented or, um, you know, feel some semblance of grace. So that I, I think has worked out in a really tremendous way that I'm very grateful for. It's not lost on me. I'm really excited to be able to bring that product, that that art, to other people. Um, that. I think could really use it in, in a world that's so volatile and um, increasingly 
confusing. I think that it it behooves us to attach ourselves to something that is authentic to the human experience. So I think art has been authentic to the human experience since the dawn of time. It's like a window into the soul for most people. It's like how we can really connect and see each other and validate each other is through expression. And uh, my favorite form of that is with music. I'm not, I'm not talented in a lot of other ways. I mean, I can, <laughs> I can, I can pick heavy things up and put them down now, but that's about it. I can cook, you know, on occasion if I'm really like chilling for a little bit. Um, I'm okay at a couple of sports, but like, I, I can't paint for shit. I mean, <laughs> I, I can't do visual art at all. Um, so this is my way of expressing myself. I'm really fortunate that it's resonated with enough people at this point. I mean, if you went, if you went to the, I mean, I did, uh, you go to the music industry, the people in it, and you're like, yeah, I got this band. It's got a weird name. I got this record. It's got an even weirder name that you can't pronounce. And uh, all of it's like about God and religion and philosophy and theology and um, and human experience is kind of hard to comprehend. Are you guys down to fund it? And they go, I don't know about that, dude. That's a little. <laughs> um, and then you go, well, I believe in it anyway, so I'm I'm gonna go for it. And they go, okay, well, you're talented. Uh, let's 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 try it. And I'm really fortunate that like Will and Sean and, and Derek and some of these other individuals in the industry saw what I was willing to put in and, and at least saw me for me. They saw me for what I could bring to the table as a musician and as an artist. And I'm just trying to embody that as authentically as I can moving forward. Like I said, I think that was kind of, the full circle moment I had when we were in Atlanta and seeing you sing and seeing actually a, a pretty packed room. Cause I mean, I, yeah, can't speak to awesome, I can't, dude. I can't speak to the rest of that, the tour that you did uh, on the degenerative tour that I was going to have you do, but I can definitely tell you <laughs> what it would have been at our show, which is not much. So is, it's, yeah, it's 30 people tops. Yeah. Not even, it was the case of raw dudes, me, my wife. And like, dudes, yeah. Yeah. Pretty yeah much. It would have been the band package and, yep. and the promoter and, yep. <laughs> and it's a thing. Um, like it's a, it's a trip to think about that. Like had it not been for Joe and like, I don't even know if I've told Joe this, like in all the times I've gone to see and hang out with Patrick and nice nine, I don't even know if Joe and I have had this conversation where I was like, by the way, think about how weird and like just dude. No, you should weird tell him, dude. I love Joe. I, I went to breakfast with him uh, a few months back. We went to this place called Millie's in LA. That's just is phenomenal. And Sergio was there. I love Joe, dude. You should tell him. You should definitely yeah. next time you see him at Ice Nine. You should tell him. It's uh, it's funny to think about. Like and that's that's a thing. Like at times, like I don't know if it's. I mean, it's possibly psychedelics and drugs and stuff like that that have helped me unlock this this uh thought process and stuff but it's like as i get older like i sometimes think about these things where it's like like what are the odds that like it's not like i would have saw joe and i know most of the tours he sent me were garbage and they're on a monday and they're like death metal and they want seven hundred dollars and shit like that with a per diem and or a buyout and something else and you're just like dude fuck yeah, they this. can barely get kids in the door yeah. yeah sure and then it's like it's a five band package tour on top of that so you're like cool so i can maybe put a local on it yeah. um yeah, there's no local. no and so what it's like one? what are the like like what are the odds that i happen to look at my phone happen decide to like all right let's open this email 
and then get through the bullshit of like, cause let's be real. When you get those presser emails they are like 19 paragraphs long and like way over complicated. And you're like, dude, I don't care if this is like the up and coming folk death metal band from Norway and that from some other band I've never heard of said it's the best thing ever. Like, I don't care. Um, so it's funny to think about like that. I went through all of these things that normally I'd just be like, no, and it was your record. And I was like, kind of had the same thing. I was like, how do you say this name? Like your band name. And then I was like, D and then again, cause it preys off of my, like I'm from the East coast, but I live in the Midwest. So how do, where do I put the enunciation on the vowels? So I'm looking sure, at it going like, and then I'm just like, Oh, and it's broken up into temples like what the fuck is this and i'm like all right i guess i'll click on this like i'm not doing anything at my job and it's just to think about how weird it is that like had it not been for all these things where ordinarily i'd just be like and you're gone the relationship is gone none of the things that we've discussed or been a part of in each other's lives would have ever happened and it's weird to to be able to have by the way, I know what a swig is now after going to Utah. <laughs> yes, okay, all right, dude. This is some Mormon shit right here, dude. Ugh. Swig for yeah. Mormons. No, um, it's Bridget was hella stoked. She was like, "We gotta go to a swig," and I was like, "What the fuck is a swig?" I think they're delicious. I they're mean, they're they are like a lot of it was. It was against the word of wisdom in the Mormon church to drink caffeine for a very long time. Um. It wasn't until I would say the past five years, probably five, six years that they, they laxed on that. And as soon as that happened, it was like soda shops exploded in Utah because they still don't drink coffee. Uh, the majority of, of practicing LDS don't drink like hot drinks a lot of the time, especially if they're highly caffeinated, just coffee drinks. Um, I love coffee. I have a coffee tattoo. That's how much I love fucking coffee. Um, but soda those soda shops i mean they are there it's like walking diabetes man but i get i just get a little <laughs> lemonade you know after a workout get my get my get a couple of sugars in me you know um you know i feel like that that could be interesting because it was something i actually really wanted to kind of talk to you about was my time in utah um oh, yeah, i feel yeah, like yeah, yeah. parts of my experience were so interesting and especially in conjunction because like we went to vegas for a couple of days mm -hmm. then we went to zion national park and in, in or we went to zion on the outskirts of and then drove like the 20 minutes into zion to go hike that for the day and then went back to our bnb &B, like in the middle of nowhere uh if bridget was here and if i felt like texting her i'd be like what was the fucking place we stayed at and like near zion because it's like a little hole in the wall like it felt like when you see movies and they're like, oh, this is in the middle of nowhere, Texas, like like they don't live around civilization and it's like you drive up and there's mountain ranges and shit. And then it's like literally like a two gas station town and you can drive through it in a matter of like 10 minutes. And sure. it's weird. And it feels like everything's behind the times kind of because like even like totally. I just got stared at like in Zion. And I'm like, yeah, did you go to right. you go to the breakfast spot on the on the south end before you leave the town? Uh, I do. Oh, I, I do know. I think, go, I think I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, but no, we did not. Uh, cause we woke it's up good, early yeah, to, to, uh, to go and get there before everybody else got there and it was busy and hot. Um, but it was weird. Cause like we went there then we went back to Salt Lake for, or I mean, back to uh, Vegas for a day, then went to Salt Lake to catch up with the no nothing more guys. 
and which is where I was supposed to meet you that night. And it's weird because like Salt Lake City, it's like I I've talked to you. I've talked to Jeffa from the used, you know, who grew up around that area over in Provo. I know it's not like super close. Like, I think it's close, but I don't have it like approximately like it's like two hours away. Um, it's about four, it's about 35 minutes. Okay. So it's a thing where like, obviously I've heard the stories of people who live in that area, but it's like, until you're kind of there and experience it, which is why I kind of love traveling at least in the States. Like, cause I get a better sense of a place. I was just like, Utah is fucking weird. And like, cause like one thing I, I kept thinking to myself as I'm driving and there's like beautiful mountains and shit everywhere I'm going. And I'm like, is there a point where you're just like, eh, there they are. You're just mm. driving and you're just like, it, like the beauty of like mountains being around you, like just natural beauty or like driving through these fucking mountains as you're going through these canyons and shit where you're just like, wow, th- like, oh shit, I need to look at the drogue because it's winding and I'm going to crash. Um, mm-hmm. But I just kept thinking to myself, like, is there a point where you ever get over this? And then I also thought like, at least over by Zion where it's more like super small town kind of vibe that it's like, it feels like a lot of the movies I saw where it's like, like tremors tremors. I feel like would have existed over like near Zion where it's like your little town, you got a grocery store, a couple of gas stations. If something happened to this town, no one would probably know, honestly, or if something did happen here, people yeah. probably wouldn't yeah. know because it takes 20, 30 minutes to get anywhere else nearby. Totally. And then going from Vegas to Salt Lake, the thing that fucked me up because we didn't drink when we were in Zion area was your drinking laws to kind of make it correlated to correlated. You can't buy you can't buy liquor anywhere outside of a state ordained liquor store, basically like a state regulated liquor store. Uh, they'll they'll learned. cut your alcohol content in mixed drinks. Like they'll, yep. you have to order it with food. Yep. Um, yeah, well, there's a lot of. We didn't have to do that, but. Oh, I think good. Like, well, that 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 might have been a restaurant breaking the rules. <laughs> sure. I think like one of the things that was crazy to me was like the first night we went to this like dive bar called Dino or uh, not Dino. Sorry, that was in Vegas. Um, was called uh, your, your, no your your ex moms or ex wife ex wives club. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know. I know what you're talking. About. Yeah. So we were over there because Bridget had gone before, and like I'm drinking a Jack and Coke, and it's fine. And like, I'm f- like to hear on my cup, like probably got about a third left and they're like, Hey, would you like another one? I was like, yeah, sure. Like, you know, I'm finishing. So sure. Like go ahead and get me another one. And then it's like, they'll make it. And then they just hold it out in front of you. Like, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, go ahead and put it down. They're like, no, no, no. You got to finish that one first. And then you can have this one. And it's like, well, why'd you make it then? Like, if I can't have it, like don't make it till it's done then. Like, that's stupid. Why would you ask me for a drink? If I want another one, but then you make it and make me wait, like make me have to finish my one before you give me the other one. The other thing that was dumb yeah, is good. I could have a shot of whiskey and obviously, but I can't have it until my whiskey Coke is done. So if I'm drinking a Jack Coke, I can't have a Jack shot, but I could have a tequila shot because it's not what I'm drinking. Then the even more fucked up thing was is toward the end when they call last call. Some of the bars are open until 2 a.m., but they call last call at 1245 which is mm-hmm. weird. And then it'd be like, so it's last call. And I'm like, so can I buy like a whole nother round? And you just give it to me over this next hour. They're like, no. So then it's like, okay, well then I guess give me a white claw. Give me another Jack and Coke and I'll take yeah, a tequila shot. 
Well, yeah, but I order all these other things and it's okay because they're not the same thing. And then it just kept making me go. So clearly it's not the amount of alcohol that you care about. So what is it that makes like, why do this? It makes no fucking sense because if I can order a shot of tequila, have a fucking whiskey Coke and then get like a white claw, it's Mm -hmm. clearly not that you're trying to regulate how, and I can have all of those at one time. It's clearly that now you're not regulating how much I can have. So make it make sense. Yeah, no, there's uh they don't. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's, a, it's a crazy place, man. I personally, I love Utah so much. The more I travel to, it is beautiful. You do, you can, it, it comes down to mentality. Like I do remember periods of being so depressed and so stressed, like in my early twenties, driving that commute, like working a, working a gig, you know, working a job, like working an hourly job in my late teens, early twenties, working two or three hourly jobs sometimes. I mean, I, I was homeless since I was 16, basically. Like I had to grind, like getting out, getting my own place and and working nonstop. And yeah, there'd be times on those drives where you just kind of tune it out. You're like, uh, whatever, seen the mountains a million times, but right. it's a, that's like a young man's mentality of like not being grateful for everything that is around you, not being grateful to just be able to take a breath every morning and live your life. You know, so that's a pretty first world problem if you're going in <laughs> beautiful places in the world and you're just completely like, nah, whatever, eh, whatever. Uh, I don't think like that anymore, ever, ever. Um, I take I every day I wake up, I try to be very consistent in my routines, but I do try to like take stock of everything um and be grateful for it and make a gratitude list i mean i've got this little dog over here my little dog teddy he i take him out to the dog park going on hikes every day um just to practice that gratitude i think waking up every day and attempting at least to to try to pay tribute to uh life itself regardless of your belief system it's like you're here you're living you're a sentient organism like you should probably start acting like it i think in my time in zion that was like the thing is like sometimes like it's funny between that and then even going to uh the salt lakes uh i sent you the photos that from antelope island mm-hmm. that it's a uh, a thing where like it's tough because like those photos i took like i'll like they inspire me to like be like, oh, I see this thing and it looks very interesting and I want to like commemorate this. But I'm also torn because I'm like, sometimes things can be for you. Yeah. Yeah. It but, takes you out of the moment. But part of me also was like, if I take a photo of this though, that I can have it at my home and it can like kind of remind me of that moment of like, this is for me. This is why you don't like it, It's such a weird duality. Like when you kind of can kind of step outside yourself for a minute and then you're just like, this is a this is a moment. This is a thing I should remember and I should keep forever. But then you're like, well, I have a way to maybe make it a creative thing. Like, so photography for me was like a thing where I love it and I love seeing something. And like that one I took of like the lake with like where you can see the water and then the mountains and all the clouds and all that stuff. And I was like, that's how I saw it in my head. It wasn't ex- that I edited it a little bit to make it look the way I saw it. But I just kept as we were going down this like two three mile like one way road going each way, like down the lake to get to the Island as we were leaving it. I was like, oh, this is one of those things. Like I should take a photo of, I should take a photo of this. Cause like 
it's so cool and I can't stop looking at it. And I'm going to wish I would have taken a photo of it to remember this thing and be like, this was so cool. And it takes me right back there. <clears throat> and then I, I just literally pulled the car over and Bridget was like, what's going on? What happened? And I go, nothing. I need to take a photo real quick. And like, hmm. it took me like four seconds to take that photo. And then I like, we just got back on the road and kept going. And it's one of those things that like, when I took a handful of the photos, I was like, like I look at them now and I'm like, I'm so glad I took those photos. But like, I'm also like, like I'm torn. Cause like I said, it's a duality of like, there's a should be for me, but it's also a creative thing too, where I enjoy trying to bring out this thing as I saw it mentally and trying to bring out the beauty and why, like I wanted the thing. It's like, even Mm -hmm. as I've been looking at the, the photo behind you, I'm like, someone had that probably same idea. I mean, it looks like I see, I can't tell if it's a bird or if it's actually where the cave is opening on the, uh, your right hand side over your shoulder, but it almost looks like a bird's uh, kind of flying by. But I think it's yeah, a, just an opening. Uh, yeah, it, these are these are like some soundproofing panels we put in. Um, there's actually <laughs> like a huge mountain on this side too, hmm. um, and they're awesome. But yeah, no, it's a balance, man. You got to you got to take that time. I I I take more photos now than I think I've ever taken um, in the past. Like when I travel, like when I've just went to Europe, I just took as many photos as I could. Um, just to, I, I still got, I still was living in the moment. I was still an active participant, you know, in witnessing my life, but it was, I'm super glad that I took those photos because there's some architecture that's just like mind blowing. I mean, we went to this church in Berlin that was just fucking, I, I've never seen anything like it. I got this cross it at a church that john and i went to in glasgow um that was just uh, it was incredible i can't even really put it into words it was a phenomenal experience super grateful i got to travel and experience that just making art just out of things that come out of my brain um i think that that's that's like a really stupendous thing i know you know it's like crazy <laughs> to think about sometimes I, I like wow i really I put in a lot of work, but I'm very fortunate that I've been afforded the opportunity to do that. And I should be grateful. I should document it so that I have that as a reference. Um, Cause there is a line, you know, if I, if I was, if it was to the point where like, like I bring my wife out for vacation and I'm just taking pictures of the food and I'm ignoring her, you know, I'm just doing my own thing and I'm trying to, and I'm on social media. I'm trying to get my likes on the gram. It's like, that's some fucking dumb shit. Um, <laughs> Oh, how many people clicked my fucking story today? It's like, fuck you, man. Like, just live <laughs> your life and fucking st- stop being a bitch. <laughs> that's, that's my <laughs> just fucking live your life. Document it for you, man. Document it for people you want to show. I, I show my grandma some of these photos. My grandma, I'll just give you perspective. She has been on one flight her entire life. It was to California and back. That's it. Okay. She's never been further west than like El Paso, Texas. Um never been out of the country. I mean, like just never traveled and, and, and hasn't got the opportunity. Now she's in her eighties and it's not super feasible to do that from a health perspective. And so when I bring home photos and I'm like, Hey grandma, check this out. We were in Amsterdam. Um, here's this restaurant we went to, you know, we went to, uh, this, uh, went to a museum, you know, in Hamburg or we went to, you know, the Rijks museum in, in Amsterdam. Um, or some of the shows, you know, some of the Don Broco shows, like documenting that and being like, here's me holding up a guitar in front of 15,000 people, you know? And she looks at that and it's just like, 
blown away. It's like, not only is it for me, it's for her, but we're having like an interactive experience. There's like a, there's a, there's a familial bond that's being made there. It's not like, Hey grandma, go check out my fucking photos on Facebook, but make sure you <laughs> like them. Cause if you don't like them, then my likes aren't going to be high enough. It's like, fuck that, man. I can't, if you think like that, if you're listening to this, fucking get it there. <laughs> go try something for the love of God. Fucking weed the narcissism out of this society real quick. Swig. <laughs> yeah. While we're at it, swig, my brand endorsement. No. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. I no, please don't please don't get me endorsed by swig. <laughs> I, would, I would have diabetes for sure. I would literally drink way too much. I think. I think one of the other things that I kind of wanted to touch on this, because obviously you live there and I want to see if it's more of a, if you feel this or if it's something I noticed just from being an outsider. But I mean, one of the things that I thought was really intriguing about being in Salt Lake is how literally the church is in the middle of the city in Salt Lake. Anyway, you got like that giant temple that's right in the epicenter of the town. We have a lot of those. They're pretty much in every, town yeah yeah they're beautiful you can only go in if you're not if you're not practicing um you can only go in before they like the commencement ceremony but they're they're very gorgeous i i you know personal opinion i think a lot of the catholic churches architecture is kind of superior i've seen some mosques that are really fucking cool um but for like a modern day church it definitely beats like a beats a mini mall church for sure Yeah, it was, it's something that I kind of really paid attention to that, that it seemed like, you know, and Grand Rapids is one of those where I think at one point um, they had more, and this is the stat. So when I say this, a lot of people are probably going to fixate on one part of the stat, but I believe the stat was we had more bars and churches per square capita than anywhere else in, in the country. Um, Cause it's one of those things where like literally for like, yeah. So that's the thing is like, there's a bar I go to all the time where I used to work at. And I can think of one, two, I think there's three churches, three or four churches around it. But I can also think from the bar I'm thinking of, there's one, two, three, four, like five or six bars Mm -hmm. within like, like you could walk to them all in a matter of like, like a minute or two. Um, So kind of showcases that like my point of like, there's a like handful of bars and then a handful of churches right around those. Um, and so it became this thing where like kind of looking at the city, it's interesting to kind of see how it feels like the church has always kind of got its hand or its grip in everything. And I was talking to a gentleman, uh, and he came into my job and it it was funny. Like we didn't look like we couldn't have be more opposite of people. And then through a couple of quick conversations and storytelling, like we were like, you know, found out he lived from Utah, like lives in the area, but it also has a house in Savannah, like a beach house. And he was like, Hey, here's my phone number. If you and your wife ever want to come out this way, we got a guest room. Like you guys are welcome to stay, you know, hang out at our beach house and, you know, have a good time. And it's funny. Cause like, as I was talking about Utah, he had told me this thing and he's like, Oh, I grew up out there. It's interesting. Cause all the, the, the religious sects of people who don't want there to be drinking, don't want to be the, want there to be these things are also the people who, buy these things and sell it to everybody else. So they're profiting off of the thing that they don't want you to do, which seems like it'd be a conflict of interest kind of a thing. And I was like, Oh, it's, that's uh pretty interesting to think about. Yeah, and then yeah, just a lot of things like that where you're just like, huh, that's uh, I think it speaks to a, a way bigger thing, but it, it, it sort of reminded me of growing up back in the East coast back, especially in Delaware, where it's like, it's so rooted in 
the foundations of like what I think this our country was built upon. And I feel like when you go to something like that, it's like, yeah, it has the, all the the modern amenities, you know, a nice mall and you know, chain restaurants and all those kind of things, but there's still pockets of it if you kind of are paying attention, we're like, oh, this is like where it came from. This is what the city is like built upon. And I still kind of got that vibe, like I was saying out in Zion, where it's like, I feel like this is like shit happened because nothing was around it. So it just became its own insulated thing. And it just has always been that thing. But like we've expanded and now there's more like, oh, Salt Lake's only like 10, 15 minutes away from this thing or whatever. But some of the ideology that started in those areas still exists very heavily in those areas. And I feel like... Like I said, I don't know if it's because I grew up in a place where that's where our society started from. So I'm, I'm, I kind of notice these things about places like, oh, I think this is where like this started, you know, like something else I felt in my travels and, and it's weird to say it, but I think the people that have lived there understand this. When I went to, uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, not Charlotte, I'm sorry. Um, God damn it. Uh, South Carolina. Uh, I'll think of it in a minute. Um, but regardless, uh, but regardless, like we were there and like one of the places we went to was a, it was like where, uh, like moms and grandmothers are making like doilies and selling their wares, like on a, like a, mm-hmm. a farmer market type thing. But like, as I read the plaque on the building, it's like, that's where slaves were sold. And I'm like, that's fucked up. Like it's, it's, I understand why you would keep the building, but I think it's fucked mm-hmm. up that you have people selling, like white people selling shit in this place where people were literally sold and like taken away from their families and shit, like show it a little bit more respect than what you are. And I feel like when I go to other places, I can kind of feel those kind of things too. I don't know if you feel that when you've traveled even out of the country where you can kind of feel a a place's history like that. Definitely. I I make it a point when I travel to, to, engage in that in some capacity um i'll usually almost always i mean in america less so for sure but if i'm out outside of america always will try to attend a mass somewhere or um you know a prayer service at a different type of denomination um a mosque or a synagogue like i'll i'll try to engage with whatever cultural aspects that i can to greater understand the history or the theology behind what built that environment. I, I, I'm fascinated by those things. I think those things are amazing to, to research and to learn and to engage with. I, I, I love those types of communities. Um, you know, even going to museums, I think is a component of that, right? Um, going to local theater shows or anything that you can do when you have, an, if you have an opening in your schedule, if you're on tour, you know, some, obviously you're there to do a job. So it's, it's difficult to find the time sometimes. Um, but yeah, pretty, you have some pretty profound realizations um, when you explore some of that. I mean, we went to, I was in um, a place called Meteora, Greece, which is like four hours north of Athens. Okay. And uh, absolutely stunning landscape. I mean, the, the, it was incredible, man. It was absolutely incredible. Um, Huge mountains. I mean, it really, the only place that rivaled it, in my opinion, in terms of scale is Utah in terms of like Mm. this grandiose um, mountain structure. 
And they have all these monasteries, these old uh, Greek Orthodox monasteries, and they're way up on the top of the hill. It's got these crazy stairs. It's a trek. Like there's like four or five of them in in uh, surrounding this tiny little village, and that's how the village is sustained is through tourism. Tour, tourists come in, they go to the main town square, they buy um, you know various foods and things, and they go up to these monasteries and they travel and take pictures and all that. And so it's a very industrious. Um, economy for this type of tourism and you see it's crazy because you can see the flip side of like how these this place was built originally which is like for these monasteries it was built around these places of worship and now you go like i walked up and it's just this grumpy old <laughs> you know orthodox man and he's selling trinkets for way overpriced and you know he's like well you can't go to the top unless you pay five bucks it's like jesus would have fucking hated <laughs> <laughs> like, like you're a state and it's it's a, the religion sponsored by greece so greece actually funds has like federal funding for these monasteries and they still nickel and dime everybody it's like eh, you're not the type of you're not the type of dude i i respect in this theological environment i follow i'm you know particular motto here and uh, he that that guy would not agree with this so um, little things like that really, th those will, those definitely will irritate me on, on occasion, but just the act of like engaging in that type of learning process of going and, and being part of it from like a inherent existential standpoint is always beneficial for me. I, I love looking at how the cultures are built and, and, um, it also it, taking an analysis, taking stock of it, it lets you know what work you have left to do in some of those communities, right? If you've got, um, you know, if, if you've got, certain communities that are are causing issues like that um at a, at a higher scale regardless of how they are built you know you've got to got to work within the framework of what's going to be beneficial for the most people i think so um yeah it's crazy when you travel the more you travel the more you you meet people of all walks of life it, it, you really get a greater appreciation for the human condition abroad i think no, it's it's something I'm very much looking forward to experiencing more beyond our country because I feel like it's going to give me more of a perspective on things like that. Um, just unfortunately, that's not been my my lot in life at this point to to be able to to do that currently. Also, I think I've said to you plenty of times when you have done some of these tricks and and a lot of touring people where I'm like, I don't know if I could sit on a plane that long for some of these. Like I'd be like, no way, uh, rough. <laughs> and i'm not even it's tall rough, <laughs> not <rough>. even tall <laughs> so i don't have to deal with like the lack of leg room or height <laughs> dude when yeah when you're when you're i mean i'm six five on a good day if i'm standing up real straight i'm like i i say i'm six four but i'm really like six five if i'm really on a good day but like six six four six five 240 pounds uh, good lord dude it, planes is rough <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> i bet i'm like a bear though so i like hibernate in the window seat i'll like i'll claim my little window seat up there yeah. and just get my little scrunch on i you know i'll i'll i'm like a camel too i don't really have to use the bathroom on flights so <laughs> it's like if it's a 12-hour flight i'm all right dude i could i'll sit down you know i'll take my nap i'll watch a couple movies um i've i've grown to not hate it so um <laughs> yeah it, it's it's been a try it's been a crazy time man um i do gotta start wrapping up i hate to no, cut it same. short tonight nope, same. Just, uh, no, i know i know it's, it's like midnight your time too so yeah no i gotta go back to go hang out with my wife and some friends uh plotting to maybe yeah, go dude. see matchbox 20 so, oh hell you gotta go for it 
Yeah, it's a uh, yeah. I love Matchbox Twenty. It's such a great band. I love, um, I love Matchbox. <laughs> um, kind of like one of the last things I kind of wanted to ask you because it's I think is an interesting thing to kind of for a, a checking in purpose. So like people who maybe will watch these in a chronological order or go back if they're sure. whatever the next one is. What um, you know, because we're we're kind of at the halfway point of the of the calendar year currently. What are you? what have you been excited about so far this year? Like, what do you, when you look back at this year, what are you happy about? Like, what are you, uh, you know, excited to have happen moving into the next, you know, next half of the year that it's kind of keeping you going forward. Um, I mean, it's been such a creative period for me. I'm really excited for all of the material that's, uh, that's been made between both bands. I'm, I'm ecstatic for my contribution to that. Uh, I'm really looking forward to recording the Dance Gavin Dance album. I think and the tour. I, I worked really hard on Jackpot Juicer. I mean, um, I, I I worked really hard on that record, vocally and uh, instrumentally. And I think that it's a really great pre, really great piece of music that I can't wait to do an actual tour off of. I think that that tour will be awesome. I'm really looking forward to being my element on that. And then. Um, same thing with the recording. I'm really proud of the material. I think it's going to be very unexpected for Dance Gavin mm. Dance fans. Um, it's the, the, the DGD fan base. Uh, you already know my thoughts on that. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the people that I meet in person are absolutely spectacular. I've met some people at DGD meet and greets that are the nicest, kindest, most genuine people I've ever met. I'm so grateful for their support of our music and are allowing us opportunity to share with them. Um, I cannot stress that enough. Um, but there's aspects of the community that are really toxic and really divisive and really hateful and really shitty. Um, and that's just with any community. You're going to get that anywhere, man. You're going to get that anywhere. You know, shit talkers, people that cause problems, that want drama and all this other shit. We don't care about that. We just want to make music, bro. Like, we Absolutely. really just are out here to make the best music that we can. And with DGD, very interesting. I mean, most almost all of DGD's discography has been made by Will, like written by Will. Like, Will will sit at his computer, he'll demo things out, he'll demo the drums, and then he'll send stuff off. And then sometimes it's me writing second guitar, sometimes it's Sergio, Zach Garen, Martin, you know, jo like whoever he can get. It's collaborative. And then the vocals are collaborative, right? This is the first record, I think, since probably Death Star or Happiness, like early era DGD, where the four of us like sat in a room and wrote an entire record. It has not been that writing process for dance for a, a long, long time. Um, we The last time we did that was Headhunter. Was we had a single come out. It was called Headhunter. That was the four. It was, and it was with Tim. It was me, Tim, Will, and Matt. We sat in a room and we wrote that song. And... I know before Tim passed, he told me, he was like, I really want to get back to a place with DGD where we're, where we get in the room as a band and we write together. And um, I know he would have been really proud of what we came up with and what we brought to the table. Um, it's definitely, I, I know that every band in the world says this, this is our heaviest material um, for DGD. It's I got will to do a, a couple songs on the seven string, you know, brought the seven <laughs> string out Um I got him to go out of his comfort zone a little bit and um, I'm really stoked on it. Sergio definitely brought a whole new element to the, to some of the baselines too. And it's a really exciting era for DGD. We've got a lot of the artwork mapped out. Will and I came up with a really cool concept for the artwork. Um, 
no no album title yet, but we'll, we'll see. Actually, right behind you, that's the artwork. Yeah, this is the artwork here. No, it's actually really <laughs> cool. I'm I'm stoked. Will and I were up late one night, and we and just kind of came to us. It was really cool. Um, but we ended up writing a lot. Like we wrote ten songs in ten days, but each of us had some other songs on the back burner beforehand. So we actually had about almost twenty songs to pick from. Hmm. Um, that that we are still sifting through. I mean, we haven't even like really gotten to the nitty gritty of exactly what songs we're right on the cusp of that, but we are recording it throughout the rest of the year. We're going to be doing instruments and then vocals, and then it'll be done. It will be done recording. And I would imagine pretty much mixed and mastered by the end of the year. So it'll for sure be coming out next year. Um, I'm excited for that. I'm excited to get back in the studio for the second half of the Idola stuff. I'm doing a lot of studio work this year. Um, just putting everything down that that's been written and that material is really cool. I think it's going to surprise a lot of people. Um, it's a very interesting and unique take on some of our other, um, explorations of the genre, so to speak. There's, there's a lot of upbeat stuff. There's some electronic stuff in there for the second half of the Idola double album. So getting in there and recording that I'm really looking forward to. And that just the musical endeavors are are going to be really awesome. I, I'm really excited for what we've got brewing. And I, I, I think that'll manifest in the tours that we have this year and the tours that we get next year in how we can share that with people. And I'm really, really excited that my idea got approved for this, this whole Idola rollout. I think fans are going to be very happy with what we come to the table with. It'll be the most like interactive space that, that we have ever been in as a group where if you are a diehard fan of Idola and you like what we do and you like what our message is, like you can interact with us regularly in a non-toxic, non-social media environment. You can actually just <laughs> come and be a part of it with us and engage in the content and talk about music and um, just have it be a healthy, positive space. That's what I'm most excited about is trying to bring that level of like positivity and health and mental wellness to other people and trying to build a community. Cause I'm not, I can't do that alone. It's a collective experience. We have to be um, fluid with that. It's a two way street. So I think that whoever's, you know, whoever wants to engage in that with us, we're really excited to bring that to the table and, and do something new. Well, uh, kind of wrap it up. I, uh, want to say thank you as always for doing this. Cause like, you, it's funny, like you say, you don't, uh, you don't do much press. This is pretty much it. Uh, and Lord knows, like, like I've told you several times, the amount of people who find these and share them everywhere. Like, I think I had sent you the text where like a friend of mine hopped on Reddit and his Reddit like main page of stories that were like the big thing was someone in the DGD community had shared our last chat and it was on his main page. And I was like, Holy shit. Like it's just, is baffling to me to know that that's a thing. Um, and that pe like that many people care to comment and, and do all these kind of things, which, you know, I get a, a little bit of it and it's crazy to see, but it's a thing where, you know, I and we 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 like reiterate this every time, but this is almost just like one of those things where like it's an extension of the conversations we just have uh, when we're together or even in text or whatever uh, or voice notes because I, I love doing those because I can actually articulate I like something like a in real time. time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You look like an asshole when you're doing them, but like I don't care. Of course. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But it's a thing where, like, I always I always look forward to these. And I think, like, it was crazy because, like, 
the last two and especially this one, like you have really been the one that's like itching to do it and wanting to come on and, and just like talk. And, you know, I told you, I was like, I think we're going to like, I think we're going to like kind of get right into it and get right into something that I think is going to be the thing that I'm probably going to get a lot of comments from that when this drops where people are like, Oh, I needed this because of X, Y, or Z. And I feel like that's the thing that like, if this podcast, you know, like I just dropped episode 400 this week and like I'm approaching the seventh year of doing this. So it becomes this thing where, you know, I think I'm just kind of at the level of where this show will always be. And it's fine. But I think like these are the kind of conversations. These are the episodes that when I actually get the feedback, I'm like, this is why maybe like I'm here to do this. This is why maybe I didn't give up doing this because like I'll get the messages that people are like, I finally went to therapy because of you and it mainly you Andrew talking about this thing or doing this thing or like I'm hoping this one instead of the therapy and the, all these kind of things, I hope maybe this will give the people someone permission to be like, I need to reach out to my friend. If I'm a bit concerned, I need to be a better friend maybe. And then Please adversely. Do. Yeah. I, you don't, you don't know when your friends are going to die. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. Well, straight I, up. Man. And I think I, that's, I like, I let out a chuckle cause it's how I deal yeah, with I a lot of that pain. It's just trying to laugh through it, but like it's legitimate, man. You should check on your same. people. Like we talked about that on the last last time we were talking about like how we've lost people very randomly like that. So it's like we understand it. So that's why like me texting you and kind of being a little concerned, like it comes from a place of that happening before. And I wish I would have I wish I would have sent a text. I wish I would have made the phone call. I wish I would have done something because instead of doing nothing, that's all I can think of is that I didn't try enough. And so like it's I don't feel weird about putting myself out there that I did that. Um, the adverse too, is I think, I hope that someone, when they, they do this, maybe it begins their journey to better themselves, maybe not just mentally, but from a physical perspective. And it is a thing for me where I am appreciative of your support, uh, in everything that I've done. And in the conversations we have, where we can have honest kind of deep conversations and and that we don't make each other feel weird for some of the things or the questions or ideas that we come up with. So I really appreciate our friendship as it has come to be over these fuck. I want to say almost 10 years now collectively from meeting digitally uh, and to, to now like in person and so forth. And uh, I'm excited for as much as I can say this, I'm excited to see you in a couple of, I think two months uh, when you're on tour and in Detroit. Um, It's going to be great, man. Yeah. So we'll grab Dude, some food I like and feelings mutual, man. hundred percent. I, I am grateful for you for sure. Um, yeah, let's get some grub. Dude, let's go out. We'll do it up big, man. I'll make sure to, uh, I'll be in my, my fasting window. <laughs> Excellent. All right. You'll be in your fasting window. Cause we're, we're going to gorge out a little bit. We don't. Absolutely. Uh, enjoy the rest of your night. Uh, looks like it's time for you to take your dog out. Uh, probably. Yeah. He just got up. I know. Yeah. He's fiending. Yeah. So thanks yeah. again, John. I appreciate you, man. It's good to hear from you. And yeah, anytime, dude. Yeah. It, even if I'm in Europe, man, just reach out, you know, I'll get back <laughs> to you as, as soon as I can. So absolutely. Have a good one. Yeah, you too, bro. So that was my conversation with Andrew. Want to thank him again, as always, for taking so much time uh, to chat with me, to get so raw, real, vulnerable. Um, it's it's not something I take lightly. Uh, I know that a ton of people listen to these, watch these episodes. Um, coincidentally, they're always my most viewed, most 
commented on most discussed episodes, probably outside of Patrick from Ice Nine. Um, but these are episodes and these are times that I, I cherish getting to talk to my friend. And it's uh, it's something with this one, like I said, with it being a little bit more of a, a personal um, thing where, like I said in the intro and in the beginning of the episode, talking about you know my, my fear of something happening to him. Uh, to then kind of discussing, you know, not being happy with myself when I looked in the mirror and not being happy with uh, the excuses I was making for myself as to why I, I couldn't better myself uh, as from a health perspective. And the journey is still going. Um, you know, obviously, when I had done the chat with Andrew about a week and a half ago, I think as of right now when I'm recording, um, you know, I had tipped uh, the scale down to 197. Um, that's the lowest I've weighed in probably a good six, seven years. Um, and it's a thing where, you know, I just weighed myself before doing this weirdly. Uh, and I've I'm down to or I'm up, I should say from where I was, but I'm at, well, you know, 198. So not really ter- I haven't really lost any more weight. Uh, I've kind of been stressed, uh, the last couple of weeks since recording this of, uh, kind of trying to find a different job uh, that allows me more time with my wife, uh, more of a work-life balance. Uh, it's bittersweet, though, because I challenge myself when taking this job as a general manager of a store to you know, be that person, and could I take those responsibilities on? And in some capacities, 100%. Uh, I mean, you don't fall into you know, being the store manager of the week or general manager of the week out of our district two weeks in a row if you're not doing the right things. Um, I have a great staff. I have great people. I've taken the time to turn the store around visually. Everything that I've done, like when I leave, you know, because uh, I'm, I'm the leaving is fast approaching in a couple of weeks, basically. And it's one of those things where as I'm kind of looking around and thinking about, you know, the short journey of the, the last four or five months of being there, I, I remember what the store was and to see where it is now, it's it's night and day and you can see every hour and every thing I did, I put into that place. And as I was looking around today, as I'm kind of dialing the last little things to get the store where it honestly should be to be pretty much at 100% of where it should be based on, you know, planograms and all that kind of stuff. And knowing that my district manager is going to come see it, you know, Friday. So in two days, as I'm when I'm recording this, I'm trying to dial in those last little things. And I keep telling myself, and I really thought about it today as I was looking at the store and just kind of taking it all in and, you know, kind of gathering those last, last memories of sorts, that it's a thing where I go, if I just focus like the same effort and energy as I would and I did the store, I'll see the same results probably in the not probably actually in the same amount of time, you know, three or four months. And I think that's kind of where I'm at right now is I just want to want a better life. Um, so it's a thing with the weight loss journey. Um, I'm doing things. I haven't really added much in the way of working out just because of the weird hours I'm keeping and the hours when I'm not working, I kind of want to spend with my wife, but something in the new job that's going to give me more consistency in, in a schedule, uh, something I definitely want to do and, and will do uh, is to start going to the gym and kind of adding that on to eating better and so forth. So I think once I start doing that, that's going to kind of be the final piece of the puzzle uh, to kind of start hitting more of the weight loss goals I wanted to, which the first one was to get under 200. So I've hit that. Uh, the next one is to get to one 
175 is the, the ultimate goal. So the real minimal goal uh, in between that, the intermediate goal is going to be to get to like 185. So got about another 12 pounds to go. Um, but obviously I think I can do it and looking forward to actually hitting up Andrew and uh, maybe getting some advice on what to do to help me get there and uh, then kind of shape what I have. Um, kind of tapping into a different part of our relationship that we've never really delved into. Cause in my head, you know, as a, as a person who with Andrew, his other job, basically being a personal trainer, the last thing I really probably want to do is be like, Hey man, so, uh, trying to drop some LBs, what would you recommend? Because I feel like half the time when you have a friend that has a, a career, a job in something, and they're very good at it, the last thing you really want to do is to kind of take advantage of that and be like, Hey, so, uh, yeah, for free, what do you want to tell me how to do? Or can you come over and do this for me? So I, uh, try very hard not to do those things, uh, and to, you know, pay the people that I know accordingly for the things that they do. Uh, shout out Porter for the graphic that I had him make me a while back, uh, for the podcast, but that was something that, you know, I paid for. Um, so he, he earned, uh, his money and all that kind of stuff, but I just don't like mixing business and friendships and all that kind of stuff. I think it gets kind of murky. So, um, all of that said, I would normally tell you, this is where you get to keep up with Andrew, uh, on the various socials, but he doesn't have any. And, you know, Idola, obviously, uh, the second episode now that we've done where we've talked about the, the upcoming record records, uh, and what to expect. Uh, and obviously DGD, as you heard, a lot of stuff coming from them. Uh, honestly, it was really great to hear that Andrew is just in such a creative space, uh, where he's just the, the ideas and the, the things, uh, are propelling him forward and he's inspired to just keep going. Um, you know, it, it's crazy. You know, you, you kind of get a glimpse at times of some of the relationships and the conversations I have with my friends, but you know, I knew that Andrew wasn't really stoked with Idola and wanted to quit the music industry a mere few years ago. And now here we are, you know, getting two more records from Idola after already getting to speak to listen to and then The Architect. So now we're going to get two records and then DGD just put out Jackpot Juicer maybe a year ago. And now we're already working quickly toward the next record that they're going to be putting out. So and then possibly, I guess, maybe some solo Andrew music, whatever that looks like, or I guess whatever Idola morphs into once the the concept and the, the overarching story that he's been wanting to tell is done. Um, so a lot to look forward to if you're a fan of Andrews in any capacity. That said, though, if you'd like to keep up with Idola, you can find them on Facebook at Idola UT, Instagram at Idola and Twitter at Idola. And Dance Gavin Dance can be found on Facebook and Instagram at Dance Gavin Dance and Twitter at DGD Band. Um, just look at the socials. You'll find everything you need to know. And everything you need to know about our sponsors was talked about in the intro, but just in case you skipped over that, if you'd like to keep up with our sponsors, Rockabilia, go to rockabilia.com, pick you up some awesome merch. Uh, they have pretty much anything you could want. Uh, if you're a fan of band merch in any capacity, use our code BREW10 at checkout and take 10% off your total purchase order. And Starving Artist Brewery, uh, thanks to them for sponsoring the episodes as well. Uh, go support them, throw them a like uh, on any of the socials where they are, and if you have 
happen to be in the Michigan area and near them, go check them out. They have a really awesome little brewery. I want to just support our sponsors for always continuing to support me over here and all of you for supporting the show as well uh, by listening, by sharing it, by commenting, whatever it is that you do. uh, I'm much appreciated. If you have any suggestions or anything or want to reach out, you can email me at brutallyspeaking at gmail.com. And for the Brutally Speaking Podcast, I am John, and I will talk to you all next time.